I was thinking about it. You know, I'm I'm an introvert. Like I'm I'm, I'm a, a painfully and a, and always have been a painfully sort of interior person. You can you can change that as much as you want. If you if you packed everything up, like cut the internet off and move to a new town, like who would you be there? If you wake up every day, you have a capacity to be great. I'll ask you something. Is is the next thirty seconds guaranteed? Never. Never. You have to answer every day when you go to bed. Were you a good person? Were you kind? Did you care about others? Or were you selfish and only thought about what you wanted? Continuing to ask questions in like a kind or positive way. If I can create a spot where people can come together. Stay off the internet. Stop researching because all you're going to do is get in your head. I did what everybody does when you're about to die, start praying. This might be my last fork in the road. Get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to our journey, where open dialogue and curiosity are the only requirements. Whether it be serious or lighthearted, music, heroing stories, aliens, or politics or comedic debauchery, we attempt to peel the layers back and connect together in a way that's genuine and honest. Without any script or idea what the hell is going to happen, this is Organic Curious Human Interaction. We thank you for joining us and ask if you enjoy the show, please do all the things that social media requires for its more ridiculous algorithms. The like button, follow, subscribe, comment, and review. And although we may have a disdain for algorithms, it's how the internets work. But if you have as much disdain for them as we do, you can visit the website, chroniccuriosity.com. The link is in the description. You can find all of our stuff there. And the store, Tony, which you can pick yourself up some fantastically curious merchandise. Welcome to Chronic Curiosity. And here we go. I'm patient. Firewood. I'm here to, I'm, I just want to play point guard. I'm just going to pass. <laughs> well, whatever works, right? Set you guys up. Oh, I talk enough as it is. We just, the last, the last two weeks, it's just been just us. So, um, Happy to have you on. Oh, yeah. I apologize. I had to. What did I have to do? I was, yeah, I was a mess with my schedule and I had to. Oh, it was a, you guys a couple weeks ago. crazy flight at like five or something. Oh, yeah. Where'd you go? Oh. I'm on the road like probably three weeks a month. So, like, I was in Dallas. Oh, closer. Yeah. I was in Dallas uh, last week and then. Going through the big D and it actually was Dallas. Yeah, I was in Dallas. I'm in Detroit next week and then um, back to Dallas the following week. And then I'm in Reno and then Mexico Jeez. and then Brazil. Brazil. And then May. I feel like you're the real life Johnny Cash song. So I gotta get a, I've been I gotta everywhere. Get a now. I get poked so I can. Are they making you for, you got to have the passport car or it's just or something just because you're, you're going to Brazil. Do you I'm like just play? worried that like I'm going to spend like two grand on a plane ticket and the week before they're like you need a vaccine to get in so i already had covid but yeah i don't know i don't trust brazil yeah. um, how would change the rules how was that how was covid how did that treat you it was rough <laughs> i talked to tony about it a while uh not like hospitalization wise but like just the the energy dump for like about two weeks like i couldn't do anything and uh, that's a part of a longer story, but yeah, it was it was not great. I never like had respiratory issues. It was just extreme fatigue, in a way like I have hard time explaining to people. It was uh, 
felt like I like did an Ironman when I slept and I woke up right after it every day and just couldn't move. And like, I'd take a shower and take a nap. And I, it was, dude, that's just, bad. Yeah, that's bad. Brutal. So, yeah. any, any residual effects from it? Or are you pretty much 100%? I mean, I don't know if I'm ever 100% um, on anything, but no, I mean, I never lost like. <laughs> I never. I'm not sure. Yeah, was that a joke? Yeah. Was that a joke? I'm so, like, I, I'm, yeah. I operated about sixty five percent generally. Um, no, I had. Uh, I never lost like taste or smell. I lost my appetite for a while, which was a great byproduct of it. Um, but no, I'm pretty good now. Never lost the smell and taste. No, no, no Ooh, smell or taste. Just lucky. appetite and fatigue, and then. Uh, yeah, it was really it. I didn't. I just had like low grade fever that would break every day, but it was not great. Doesn't Staying in your room for two weeks is like, don't ever go to prison because I was ready to like, yeah, start writing on the walls by the end yeah. of two weeks. Your wife like, came up and you you'd carved a shank. She's like, Jesus, what are you <laughs> doing? Put there? like food on the ground outside the door and walk away. Yeah. And bring my food and eat it in, in a recliner in our room, and then yeah. So I watched like every. QAnon documentary. <laughs> oh my you got real bored. All, 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 anything that was like aliens or QAnon, I was like, all right, let's. Oh, just, you got to I, put them in the same category. I got, I got <laughs> two weeks to just get real weird in this room by myself. So I, I watch a lot of that weird stuff. And, yeah, I feel like we should probably. We didn't do an introduction, did we? No, I mean it's. Well, yeah, we should, we should probably it's, do it's an introduction. Matt, it's Hanlon. Yeah. Here we go. Here, here we go. Here he's here. And he travels a lot, and he's had COVID. Yeah. Look at that. Introduction. End of story. Call <laughs> Call <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, how, I know, like, I know, obviously, how I know of you. Yeah. Um, but how do you, how, do, how did you guys, because I know, like, he started talking about this match. I was like, I know Matt. Yeah. Like. Probably through through Phil. Well, it was that one time, like, um, I was like, driving on the road. A little closer, Tony, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was driving on the you road. You can move it, too. So you can swing it around. You can say however you want. You can, I was driving on the road, and Tony was like 30 feet up in a tree and just punching the tree down. And I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, with his bare hands. Yeah. So I pulled over, and I was like, you want to go to launch something? No. <laughs> we have a mutual friend, and uh, uh, Phil. And uh, he – it's so funny because Tony is just like a unique guy, of course. And so I met him over at Phil's house. We like to hang on the back porch and pretty much do a podcast without mics. And uh, so then he came over to my house one time and I was like, oh, this new guy, my friend Tony's coming over to my wife. And she's like, oh, yeah, who is that? And I was like, oh, he's a friend. He's fine. I was like, he looks like a lumberjack. Don't be scared. And he came in my door and he was like, hello. And I was like, <laughs> ran in the room. I was like, he's fine. He's, he's oh, very gentle. But like, so she's like, who are you hanging out with? And I'm like, I'll say, I'll Phil and Tony. And she'd be like, Tony. And I'm like, yeah, that Tony. Deep voice Tony. So, yeah, that's how we connected. And then, uh, yeah, just been buddies. And we we like the brown stuff. And that's kind of how we connected initially. And yep. And I always like to hear what you're reading, too, because <laughs> there's not a lot of people that read as much as you do, which I respect. I try to. Well, I mean, if you count books on tape, when you're in an airplane a lot, there's only so many times you can run to listen to, like, run the jewels. Um, <laughs> I think you so. count books on tape. Yeah. I mean, that's like... I kind of this, one of the reasons how this thing got started was like I was so used to listening to stuff because I drove around a lot and it was like man you can only listen to the radio so much mm-hmm. and I have like a specific music taste and I can only listen like and I love music but I can only listen to so much music to, over and over and over again and now it's like I'm 
listen to podcasts at like one and a half times the speed, yeah. just like sucking as much. As, I still can't yeah. do that. I've tr- I've heard a lot of people do like one and a half, and it just it feels like I'm on like coffee. I feel like I'm. It makes me like move fast. You're listening to Alvin and the Chipmunks, right? Yeah. Well, it all depends on who you're listening to. Because some people, I can't do that. Yeah, if it's Lex Friedman, like you said, yeah, you listen five x speed. <laughs> yeah, you, do you know who Lex Friedman is? I, I, I listened to a podcast he was on, but I haven't listened to his personal one. It was, of course, with Rogan. I think yeah. everybody yeah. listens to Joe Rogan. But yeah, he's a very monotone, slow speaking kind of guy. So it's like, yeah, I have to listen to him at at one one and a half times because it sounds like a normal person talking. <laughs> yeah, I um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I just am a Generally, I think also through line with Tony, like generally just a curious person. And so even if it's not something that is uh, anything I know about or am good at, I like to listen about it. So like I'm just a fan of really smart people or at least people that sound smart that are able to, you know, convince me they're smart. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, so a lot of podcasts, just different stuff. I just... My wife is always telling me, like, why are you reading that book? Or I'll try to explain a podcast that I listen to about, like, anything, like Area like 54. And she'll be like, I don't care about this at all. And I'm like, but no, like, who's that guy? The Bob Lazar. Yeah, Bob Lazar. Oh, wow. like, <laughs> no. Yes, yeah. we're going to start. So, no, yeah, no. I, I read his or I listened to his book yeah. or whatever. And I was, I was, like, trying to explain it to my wife. And she's like, I'm out. No, no thanks. And so. Ah, you got Fred. He's even he likes uh, yeah. weirder stuff than I, I do. Yeah, I know. I know all about Bob Lazar. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, I know all types of ancient weird aliens stuff. and <laughs> yeah. I don't, not so much the show. The show it it, it does a disservice to, to the whole alien yeah. and Egypt thought, but yeah, I mean weird stuff. Just I think there's a lot of underlying things that it's not the. Um, I think a lot of people hear that like surface level, like Bob Lazar talking about stuff, and it's like, well, I get it it seems far-fetched but think about all the things that it could mean and the things that like it does mean if the government's hiding stuff or this that all these different ideas and technologies and that's the fun stuff yeah for me it's uh i like people who are really convinced in what they think even if it's crazy i'm just (laughs) all in on anybody who's like the world's flat like i'm listening to that like I want to hear that because it's just flat like, earthers. <laughs> oh man, it's just a, it's great. I love like somebody that's so convinced on something like that, and it's just like, well, at least you're con- like you're committed. Like I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> you have a like, conviction, yeah. Right? So I yeah. saw a good one. Oh, I can't remember the the name of it. It was a um, I can't remember if it was on Amazon as a show, but they were talking. This lady, basically, this lady made it. She said that she had been constantly visited by aliens or other dimensional beings her entire childhood. But they went on like this whole thing about they kind of connected aliens and like different dimensions, like the kind of like the multiverse theories mm-hmm. and different things. But then at the end, some of the people that they've been talking to let you know that they're alien hybrids. I'm like, oh, I'm in. now this is interesting. <laughs> like, I'm down. Yeah. yeah, they were like taking up the spaceships and they were like grown in like test tube, like mixed with like alien like DNA. And I'm like, okay. Nike uh, got me. <laughs> I always joke like if I was ever like a target of an like an FBI investigation, and they just looked at like my Netflix queue, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, no, this guy did it. This guy's, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's totally, yeah. this guy's totally wrong." And it's like because anything that is just, I just love crazy people. I don't know why. Like if you're a serial killer or like that kind of stuff, you know, I, I watched something this week on Netflix that was like. About this art heist that was like the biggest art heist. I saw that. It was like $10 million or something. Or it was, was way it more than that. Than that. Oh, no, okay. it was like. Was it 
500 million. Was that the I one where they left the... Was, was, that, just, was that Ocean's 12? It was, was that, <laughs> yeah. it was like this crazy convoluted thing. It was really interesting. And I, I guess whatever spoilers, but like there was this art gallery in Boston and it got broken into and they couldn't figure out who did it. And then it was like mob related because the mob figured out like if you had like a Rembrandt and then you got, and you'd stole it and then you got arrested, you could use that as a bargaining chip to get out of jail. So all of these mob guys all of a sudden started like trying to get all these really rare paintings, would steal them. So there was all these, so they would basically have goons come and steal these paintings, which in the one in Boston, these guys were so dumb. For half the paintings, they like broke the glass and like cut the painting oh, out no. and was like, just grab the whole thing. And, but, um, and then everybody gets killed that was involved in it, except for like the boss. And then he gets pinched for racketeering and it's like, how do you get out? It's like, well, he, <laughs> these he rare had two hundred million dollars of, of rare shit. art in his basement when they, and he was like, "I'll give them back." And so, it was really interesting the, the caper of it all. And then you find out it's like these, like high school dropouts that dressed up like cops, and just ran into an art gallery for forty five minutes, and stole like five hundred million dollars worth of That's art. That's crazy. And then they all, and then they were found in the trunk. Yeah. They all got a FedEx package they, <laughs> a month later. <laughs> it was a lot. Most of them were found in their trunk. Uh, like after like one day, he said it was in his trunk for like 30 or 40 days. Ooh. So he was like melted by the time he found him. So anyway, but yeah. You remember so, that movie, Thomas Crown Affair? I've never seen that one. Never saw that one? Did you see that is one? That a, Pierce a, Brosnan. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a sweet movie. That's He's a, what, that, 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 it would have been like kids when that came out right well, like yeah i think so late 90s maybe? he's a, he's like an art thief it's cool art, there is something different i i, I had an, not an epiphany because it wasn't new knowledge um but it really hit me just recently i always thought people buying like ridiculous art was the stupidest fucking thing i was like or like somebody like hanging a car like on their ceiling like these rare cars i, I guess i got the rare car thing like a jay leno like because all right you just yeah. love cars okay I get it. And you have too much money. Right. And you got, you all got to spend it on something. Like I always, that's always thought it was, but then it it hit me that all these rich people, it's just like any other type of investment, like real estate, or, you know, if it's something that can hold its value. All right. Well, it's diversification. A lot of these people buy high end art just so they have somewhere to put their money. It's it's even worse. It's really what it is. It's cryptocurrency. It's a closed end investment those guys aren't making any more paintings. And so right. there is no more inventory. So well, not just the value continues to, <laughs> to trade off of itself. And that's why when somebody's like, oh, my grandma had this sketch in her basement and ended up being a Picasso, it's like $13 million for like, because there's just no more of that. Yeah. Right. And so it should be like, you know, like a cryptocurrency all of a sudden being like, hey, we're going to release 10% more. The, the buying frenzy that would go in place there would be unbelievable and so that's why like art is like i don't want to be philosophical but like it's one of the first like actual cryptocurrencies because it's closed end to end and same with fine cars like hey they only made 37 of these porsches if you own one and over time that number dwindles 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 then it's you set your price but that's that's wealth at a level that i don't think i'll ever touch Maybe you guys. Not me. Yeah. I'm out. I'm way out. Not me. There's no way. Um, 
Well, I think you even said cryptocurrency in a sense, but there's some like we talk about cryptocurrencies, not often, but we have. Um, but, like some places, like you look at like XRP. If anyone's a crypto nerd out there, like they're just making the stuff up, and it's like, why is this? Why does this have value? And then people would lump it all into cryptocurrencies and all these things. Like there's so much variety there that people don't get, but. Yeah, when you have something that no one else has, and it's not going to get made anymore. Don't they call that one the Joker? Yeah, do they? Yeah, I think that's the nickname for <laughs> is that the, the new Joker. I stopped paying attention to it. No, I know you. Hate, I know you hate it. Every, when I said XRP, I just I'd always see your lip. You're just like, eh. <laughs> well, that's like, um, like NFTs. You guys mm-hmm. were talking. Yeah, about I was NFTs. just going to say are NFTs. Yeah, well, NFTs are just a completely fabricated. I mean. That uh, hey, let me sell this tweet for two point five million dollars. Well, yeah, that, wasn't that what Jack Dorsey was it two point yeah, five million? Yeah, well, fucking even the the uh, was it NBA created an NFT? Yeah, and it's literally like a like a gif of a highlight. So it's like LeBron dunking, but they only sold a certain amount of them. They sold out in minutes, and now they've created this market, which you know, if you break down like an NFT, like an NFT is only sold on a specific platform. So that platform has an interest in that NFT growing. And so it's all, I mean, when you talk about like tech bubble stuff from the 90s, it's like on steroids. I mean, it's great now and maybe it'll never blow, but the moment it blows, everybody's collateral damage. And, you know, it's not like, what is it? Um, What's his name? It was a famous financial advisor in the 80s. His last name was Savage. It's not Fred Savage. I was going to say, say Gordon, Gordon Gecko. Yeah. Um, I can't think of his first name, but his big philosophy was like return of investment, not return on investment. On investment like, yeah. What's your exit strategy? Because you can show growth and, you know, stock manipulation all the way through. But like when you get out, how do you get out? What's your taxation in that in that moment? And that's, I think, the thing with crypto. I mean, there's people who are just, you know, you know, positive thinkers. I can't think of the right term, but they're they're so positive on it. They're just like it's just going to be worth a million dollars. You know, you know, a Bitcoin or whatever. And how do you get out though? Like, there's no real great exit strategy, especially with blockchain. And so, unless their big gamble is right, like, are we turn that into the main currency, and then they're they've cornered the market on it, but. There's a lot to be done before we can have a global currency like that that's digital. Because- no, for sure. Well, I think that's one thing that I've always kind of gone by when it comes to that is, you know, it's great that you own this new great thing, like an NFT. Yeah. You know, I I understand the concept behind an NFT, and it's a neat concept. Mm-hmm. It is. As long as you can create something that somebody's going to want for a long time, like a Picasso yeah. in an NFT, which is – I don't quite see how that's going to work yet, but – I think in the cryptocurrency world, to me, I think Bitcoin's different than anything else for multiple different reasons. But I'm I'm okay with someone being really optimistic or yeah. you know about something. But tell me why? Like, tell me the end game to yeah. this thing. You know, what I mean, and a lot of people it's just well, this is the new thing. This is the, it's cryptocurrency. It's going to be cash. Well, like I don't think Bitcoin's ever going to be cash. Like it's never going to be a currency. Yeah. But I think it's kind of taking that place of like gold in a sense, and it has the capabilities of being transferred. And it's a decentralization; no one controls it, which is my favorite part of it. Yeah, there's no fucking greedy ass investment company or somebody like you said, you know, platform that has a vested interest in it. It's just I got to get Boris on. He's that computer programmer because he's like somebody's controlling it. 
How, I'm, what do you, well, you think about like now, like the value of it, and there are people like, hey, it's going to be worth a million dollars. You know, the price is going to be at a million dollars at some point, and it's in the high hundred thousand dollars last couple weeks. And I looked. You got to remember. Hold like, on, hold on. The Bitcoin is. I think it's for no, 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 sixty for one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's right around fifty nine or sixty. Oh, okay, was it at yeah. one eighty at one point? No, 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 no. Oh. It never went that high. The highest oh. it ever went was like sixty one thousand seven hundred and something. Yeah, I think. it was like sixty one nine or something like yeah. that. Oh, I apologize. No, but you're good. The upside of it is like the people that own Bitcoin. It's it operates still like a stock where it's like if Coca Cola wants people to invest more in their stock price to go up, they announce. Oh, yeah. Projected earnings or projected value. And so, like, right now, you look at, like, people that got into Bitcoin right now are the geniuses. But now it's like, okay, if it's at 60,000, what's my upside value? If I got it at 100 and now it's worth 60, okay, now I'm at 6,000% of my investment. If it's at 60,000, for me to make 6,000% of that, the value is, I'm not quick math. What's that? 3.2, what, billion per coin? I mean, the the upside swing, I mean, in, in dollars is a lot. But the speculation side has already happened. If it goes up to a million, that's still only what three times. So that's a you know three hundred percent when you're looking at people that got in in two thousand seven or whenever it came out for you know pennies on it. So that's the thing is it it, it behooves people who have Bitcoin to talk about how much Bitcoin is going to be worth because that increases investor pool and activity. But the people that got in earlier are going to get rich. It's just like the GameStop thing. The people that bought at two dollars. And got out at three hundred were great, but the people that bought at sixty bucks and now it's what at like one thirty, they've doubled their money. That's great, but they're not gonna get rich off of it. And right. So it's all about you know the market's timing. You know, like anybody says, it's just it's uh, it's real interesting though where that's gonna go because um, I mean right now like Bitcoin is money. You can buy it in I think was it California Nevada. You can use Bitcoin. Like, you can buy a car with Bitcoin. You can walk in there. You can buy a Tesla. Yeah. They'll, they'll, well, he's tied to it so much now. Yeah. Yeah. Is it 10% or 5% invested in Bitcoin? One, one point but that was just billion. a recent That was just a recent yeah. interaction, too. But they're continually, like, you're going to see more progressive areas start figuring out, like, your, you know, your Amazons, your Whole Foods and stuff who's owned by Amazon. But I, my thing I always go back to is when people say, like, oh, Bitcoin is this, you know, unencryptable place. I, my speculation is, like, okay, well... You give scammers or, you know, those kind of people like, hey, you can't break this. Now you just gave them the goal. And we'll see what – because, I mean, Bezos's dick was on the internet too. So he owns Amazon. <laughs> yeah. well, I will so say, he obviously so. wasn't smart enough to keep his, his thing off the internet. So, I mean, somebody's going to be able to break into it at some point. Well, so I, I, so I understand the skepticism from people. Um, and I've just personally done my own – yeah, really research on whatever. So I look at it from a different aspect of, I don't see it as just like a stock. I don't see it as a currency because it's too slow to be a, a currency, a, a cryptocurrency um, in the, you know, in the future. But I do think that, you know, I guess I kind of boils down to this, you know, what's a, what is monetary value? What's yeah. money? Oh yeah. It's whatever people believe it to be. Right now, you know, like we talked about, you know, it used to be gold to back the dollar. Now it's back in the dollar. You know, Powell, federal, you know, the, the chair Powell. Emotion, momentum. It, yeah, it's just printing. They're just printing it off. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what was your statistic? 30% of all dollars have been printed in the last year. Yeah. 
I was like, thirty like, percent oh of all the dollars in existence have have been created and printed in the last year. So, so I look at that. I look at where's the the fiat system going. You know, where is our currency system going? And it it just seems like a a utility that is safer than anything else at this point. Yeah. Maybe with quantum computers, and you know, you find maybe, but. I think we're a little far off from quantum computers yeah. being able to hack a system like that. So I think if you see adoption internationally, um, I think it could go to a million. And yeah. if my dollar goes down, inflation goes way up, then maybe that two, three, five X return is a lot better than I would have had in the stock yeah. market. I'm less of a conspiracy theorist on money, currency, especially in the United States, just because of and maybe i'm just too much of a you know ignorant of it but the idea that the american dollar would disintegrate would have a reverberation across the world um probably as big as a nuclear bomb and so there's vested interest globally that even though like that's why it doesn't make sense right now like that's why when we look at economic markers and then the stock price don't match up because as much as we want to say that the dollar isn't a, isn't the global currency, it is. And so as much as China's invested in our country, as much as all these other um, wealthy areas in, of the world have invested in the United States for it to go down completely, like the whole ship to burn down, um, that's a restart of a global economy that even more <laughs> than China, because China is a goods market more than a currency market. And so like... That would be like China being like, we're not cutting any more trees down. Find your lumber somewhere else. Like that would be a global distraction and would, the cost of wood would go to be the cost of diamonds. And, and so because they don't have the economic standards and, and environmental standards that we have here. But like, you know, you look at gold, you know, back in the 40s, uh, 30s and 40s during the Great Depression and World War Two, that was what FDR did. He like the price of gold was managed by the president. So there's, you know stories upon stories where he would come in and be like what's the price of gold he'd be like four cents more why we need more we need more value in our dollar right we need to have we need to spend more on the war and so gold was the manipulated currency at an even more rudimentary place than than our dollar is and so when people say like i want to go back to the gold standard it's like great first off there's not enough of it and also that's manipulated just like it's like a utopian it's just like i you know i want to go back to when there was only three tv channels like that's not happening right and it can't happen so you just got to kind of continually evolve but at this stage our economy is not gonna i don't i don't think it's just gonna ever return to reality it's so far gone. I mean, we're, what are we? How many trillions of dollars are we in debt? Well, who even knows at this point? Uh, I think we're and growing. And I mean, it grew. It grew during twenty seven you know, or something like that. Usually, a Republican House is, is balancing the budget, small government, and it grew during Trump's time and before the pandemic. And so we're just in the spending absolute like cycle, and you see consumer debt is at an all time high. So the stock market's up what in the last seven years, almost a hundred percent. And the average American family is still in the same amount of debt they were before it went up. So that that value is hypothetical until you exit and people aren't living with budget in mind. And so that keeps us in a really tedious place financially as people, but also like tied to our government to make sure that our stock market keeps going up. 
And if our stock market plummets 10,000 points and unemployment goes up 6%, it, it, it looks a lot of our country starts looking like West Virginia real quick. Right. So a couple of things you just said. So that's kind of kind of circling to the, the Bitcoin thing is some of those things why I like the idea of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It's completely decent. As we know of right now, completely decentralized. Nobody controls it. Yeah. Nobody can manipulate it. As far as at a core level, like Jerome Powell printing off money or, sure. you know, the gold reserves. So I like that idea because it kind of, maybe it's revolutionary, but like kind of gives power back to the people, you know, maybe it's kind of romance. But at this point, that's what we know about it. Mm. And then my, the second thought is, okay, so where do we go from here? You know, monetary systems used to be seashells and, you know, coins with Caesar's face on it. And then all of a sudden, you know, fiat currencies that exist now come into play and they get constantly abused, you know, after we went through gold and everything else. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think the dollar is going anywhere anytime mm -hmm. soon at all. Um, but I guess that's my thought is, okay, what's, what's next? Because we're continuing to move down this road of, innovation and technology and finding that next thing it's gonna have something's gotta happen because like you said we're fiat currency is just a figment of our yeah. you know feel good imagination it's of what the government just yeah and um so it kind of ties in the comment you had about the stock market it, it keeps on going up keeps on going up it's going to keep on going up because it has to because gold's not doing so great right now mm -hmm. the you know u.s treasury bonds are not doing so great like no one trusts essentially the government or gold so they have to keep putting their money in stocks to actually make some kind of return because you put ten thousand dollars onto your mattress 10 years ain't gonna be i mean if we keep going like it's going it could be worth shit you know what i mean yeah and i want to say the the biggest owner of bitcoin is the united states correct we don't know as far as the actual government, I, I don't think it's it's not. It hasn't maybe been not released. the single owner, but I believe that they're the biggest. Them and and China. I was gonna so, say China's got to be huge. Yeah, but that's you know. So you read that tea leaf. And so if, if we own it, uh, so that just goes. That means China owns it, right? It's yeah. on us. Yeah. Well, it was what well, Peter Thiel even came out and base. Well, if you read between the lines, he said like, "Look, like China's going to be using this. Like we should too." Yeah. The problem with China is... <laughs> is it just one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me talk for 45 minutes. Uh, let me go off. Go, you guys can go take a break. No. You know, multiple problems with China. The other problem is, like, China owes us a, a pretty close amount to what we owe them. And so it's kind of like we both have a gun to each other's head. And so, so what is that? Who made a list? Oh, the most... Oh, they, these are just the, the people... This isn't necessarily government. The list of most countries that have the most Bitcoin. I love how they do that. Hodlers instead of holders. Yeah. So United States, Romania, and China. And then Spain, Japan. Really? Romania? Yeah, the gymnasts got in early. Yeah. yeah. But that's just the individual holders. I don't think we know what governments yeah. hold at this point. So, but yeah. Sorry. Man, it could be like the Disney thing where like a bunch of government operatives own it personally, but it's really... You don't know, man. That deep state's deep. Disney. Yeah, putting dicks on Little Mermaid covers. <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Just saying I saw it with my own two eyes. 
<laughs> he has pulled it up multiple times for me to see. Yeah, it's, that right I, there is a golden dick. He says. It is. Well, I always expected. I always expected to have the Mandela effect, and then like at one point, you, like it's just not there, and I'm like, no, I know there was a dick on that cover. <laughs> I didn't I know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just it, like the economy, and there the problem is ultimately globally is there isn't an economy that's doing great. We're just doing less bad right. than them. And so, like, you know, you look at the cost of, you know, the inflation rate in China and, you know, just their human rights, you know, yeah. even there. Like, I mean, what was that? Who was the richest guy in China that went missing for four months? That uh, Francis Ma guy? Yeah. yeah. He, Mao, he owned, yeah. like, the the Amazon of, of, of China. Was he, was he an alley? No, wasn't was it? Was it Alibaba? Yeah. He was an Alibaba yeah. executive. Like the Amazon. Just of, yeah. 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 yeah, and just then disappear. he showed back up, and he's, and he's like, like, "I love China." Yeah, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. He and started then, saying like, "We don't like this." Did and he disappear again? I don't. I, or is he back? back. For, oh, is he back? He was gone for like three months. But guess he was, who's back? Yeah. <laughs> and he he has the uh, the talking points down now. Oh yeah, because he went yeah, through because uh, they inserted Neuralink in his brain. No, he went through reeducation, which is. Hitting big rocks and tur- turning them into smaller rocks for three months, and yeah, then the game is free back. But that's, but the, you know, that's He's the thing. Bumping like, elbows with the Jaegers. China does become like, you know, replace the United States. Like, I just wonder how that would even happen with the humanitarian side of things, and um, like globally, because that's scary. Yeah, and you go, you keep peeling the onion back on all that stuff, but you know, we have just as many. I don't say just as many. We have an aggregate amount of trade deals going back their way and like simple things like wine, like a lot of our commerce, like our high end stuff, like, um, bourbon and scotch and wine. And, um, what's the other thing I was, I was reading that China is like buying up, Oh, lobster, Lobster. like Maine lobster. So like they will buy it up like crazy over there because they, they're, you know, whatever they just, they like that, that type of commodity. And so they're more, they're beholden to us on like the, in a weird way, on like the commerce side. And we're there, we're beholden to them on lumber and electronics and slave labor. We'll just call it what it is. And so we kind of have to be like. Well, we don't want to talk about that. We're going to be like, they're just like (laughs) brothers, basically, that hate each other, but no, they're still family. And there's a, there's a need for both of them. I don't know. I just, for me, like, I guess I'm not a, like a conspiracy theorist to the end where I think the world's going to end but because I just don't think I just don't think it will I think we'll just continue to act like it's not as bad as it is and keep printing money right well, that's, they're, so they're that's never like elect a president that will be like we're going to balance the budget because <laughs> all the free all the free shit's done that's impossible yeah well that's what I think that's the scary thing is not mean not the scary thing I don't think the world's going to end either um I like I like to play that scenario out in my head and be okay not necessarily like to, but I feel like you have to think about some of those things. But I, like you said, like I don't think the dollar is going anywhere. I don't think China is going to invade us and take over. You know, I don't. Um, I don't think we have any of that to worry about. Yeah. But I think w- what we do have to worry about is we're going to keep playing this, you know, lose lose game. Yeah. And where does it put us? So it's like in my mind, I go, okay, I can't fix, you know, international like issues or let alone national issues. So what am I going to do to like make my life a little better and try to, you know what? Sometimes you got to, you can't beat them. You yeah. got to join them and play the game. 
<laughs> but, uh, but like, what if what if crypto is like a whole is just the internet? Like that most people are like, oh, what's the internet? Email, like whatever. I'll call somebody, or you know, <laughs> yeah. just write them a letter, or, or I'll fax them something. And a lot of people didn't see the the depth that you know you know what facebook does with like right. data mining and all that stuff that so many people are like well i mean that's not going to be and a lot of the same stuff with crypto is like what do you mean it's it's a figure on a computer screen that i own but how do i get it out or can you send me like a certificate so i can put it in a safe like i think what that's what crypto is for a lot of things is like it's the internet we the people that are adapting or not adapting it don't see past like what it actually is and they don't see where like it can actually influence a lot of things like investment like you think of a company that wants to to grow and you know there's just a way to raise funds through crypto and that is not that is bank is limited in banking and so right. that's an evolution from like your online checking account and if that's yeah. what you look at crypto is not like this monolithic change in our in our system it's more of a an evolution of banking then i think people like i think that's the big thing is people don't get it and if you if you view it like that you go oh okay well 15 years ago you didn't bank online and right. you wrote a check for your mortgage every month you didn't set up an ach and all these things that were like incremental changes in banking that made our life simpler and better well what if crypto is like it's the next stage. that with nitrous in it and gives you a lot more buying power and a lot more ability that's and flexibility within the community to to buy trade and and accumulate so yeah and that's kind of i see too i think you nailed it, the evolution i think that's the way i look at it is it's it's very it's i'm not going to say for sure because i don't understand blockchain and all these things nearly as much as some of these people do i understand it i think better than the average person for sure um i'm worse I know. I don't think you are. You obviously understand it. Some you, you obviously you understand I'm at the it. bottom. Yeah, you, no, you understand it better than the average person too. Just by hearing you talk, because most people just look at it and go, "It's kind of it's not." I remember the thought like when picture phones came out and they yeah. put a camera on your phone. I'm like, "What? This is the stupidest fucking thing ever." Who wants to take pictures with a phone? Well, now where we're at, so like I look at that kind of the same way as like okay. So what's next? Like, all right, I, I've been to that way before where it's like, I thought this thing was stupid. So let's look into it. What's next? What's the next piece of that evolution? And not only just banking, I think the blockchain technology has a lot to offer for technology as a whole that people don't. And I think it's just misunderstanding it. People don't understand it at all. And they just say, Wah. and then 15 years later, you go, ah, shit, wish I would have bought that Apple stock. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it could crash and fail though too. You never yeah, know. Totally. So could Apple. It, it could be Laserdisc. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> yeah. See, it, you know what I mean? <laughs> you put all your money in Laserdisc and didn't buy any DVDs. And like, oh, yeah. I got, now I got a house full of Laserdiscs and I can't sell them. Um, <laughs> it just reminded me when you said that about like picture phones. Like, there's a really funny Norm McDonald joke where he talked about like when I was growing up, there was like one picture of my grandpa and he was like standing by a plow like with a mean face and was like, that's my grandpa. And it's like. When like we're gonna be dead, our kids are like this is my grandpa. Like, oh, what's he doing? Oh, he's 
he's uh, uh, eating a quesadilla by the beach. Like, <laughs> that's what he did for a living? Like, yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> only knew like your grandpa was pictured doing his job, and that was the only picture you had of him. And they were like, what, what did uh influencer? So right. here's he him drinking alert. like electrolyte-filled water. Like cat yeah. filter on yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's a picture grandpa of Grandpa wasn't a cat. Exactly. Yeah. So Neither like, was that lawyer. <laughs> so like, he was just, it was just a fun, I mean, of course, I don't do it anywhere close to justice, but yeah, it was a, it was a great example. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm always a, a believer in just continuing to evolve and uh, as much as you can. Um, because, I mean, I think right now, like my dad um, is my business partner and he's in his mid 60s. And I know like his evolution is, is topping out. Like there's only so many things that he'll accept. Like, and, and so, uh, you know, as long as I can stave off that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Atrophy. Yeah. Um, it's going to be better for me because this is not, you think in the last 20 years, I think I had a camera phone in my senior year of high school, which was like 2003. But like, I don't know if I had an email address until I went to college and they gave me when I was like, so what I'm just going to email this? my professors? Like, what, what am I going to do with this? And right. now it's like. Those were the days of Facebook when you had to have a college account to be part of Facebook. I, I remember I had a buddy that had a face. I was just thinking that. I had a buddy that had a Facebook. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And they're like, oh, well, you like all of this? I'm like, this is stupid. I hated it. I was like the last person. I was like, it was probably 2007 when I actually got a Facebook because every, like, I was just like, this is stupid. Because I, I remember, I thought MySpace was dumb. I was like, this is another MySpace. I don't want to listen to your, like, Usher soundtrack when I get on your page. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And then I finally, like, broke down. And, like, one of my friends, girlfriends was like, we'll build it for you. And then, yeah. It changed yeah. things. I now, still hate Facebook. <laughs> well, I actually, I, I undownloaded it from my um, phone. And... Uh, too many but, conversations with woke people commenting on football. I have to have it for like. I have to have it for marketing. Oops, sorry, I have to have it for like the marketing side of my company. Um, so I have to have it, but like the moment I took it off of an icon, that I have to like type in like an old man Facebook.com. Right. Like it keeps me out of it because it just is. It's just an echo chamber of hatred. Yeah, and it just like it literally the the day I. The story was I actually woke up and rolled over and was like, opened my phone and it was in the middle of the pandemic. It was just like five posts of being like, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. And this person, like, why is this in my life? Like what? Yeah. And I just like deleted it and was like, this is, this is ruining my morning already. And I haven't even done anything. So uh, yeah, I post minimally, mostly just to make fun of people. <laughs> it's toxic. Uh, you talked about evolution and that we're not wanting to uh, succumb to atrophy. Is that where the I heard you're a connoisseur of books? Is that where <laughs> your book? Maybe not connoisseur. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's too much. But I, you're a real book book nerd, or I like to read. I, I I like to read. I I cannot read fiction. So like you're not gonna. I, I've never read Harry Potter. Like if there's a dragon in it, I immediately pass out. Like I just. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't have any like imagination. I I like to read like biographies or like memoirs. I get a lot out of that stuff. Um, and then just historical events. Um, I'm a really big like Malcolm Gladwell honk. Um, love his podcast too. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just am a curious person, and I get really like worried that I'm in a rut. So I'll like I'll try to read, and I have a couple friends that read a lot too. So we'll like pass along different books that we're reading. And what is it about the uh, the history and memoirs? Because that's so. So I've picked up reading much more than I have mm-hmm. in the past years, and I've switched from fiction to nonfiction quite aggressively. Um, but I'm more of like a a physics and like no, no. like the universe type and I read some other stuff too, but what is it about like the, you know, the, the stories of people that have lived and that you really pull out of, like, what is that about? Depending on who it is. Um, what I really like to, to, if I know the person going in and that's usually the goal or a little bit about it, um, the honesty, like I'm not going to read like Joe Biden's kid's book because I know it's just going to be like garbage. Um, he's not going to really tell actually what he was like. He's not going to tell the good shit yeah. like when he was smoking crack, banging porn stars. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because um, I'd read that. That yeah. sounds like a great time. Like, no, you know? like I'm – for what I do for a living, um, and it just sounds corny, but like I get to be an entrepreneur. So I like to read those books, not the – like the art of not giving or whatever or – you know, those like kitschy kind of books that are like, you know, one, two, three millionaire. I don't like that stuff either. <laughs> it's more about like, uh, like a really great book that I read that really has affected me was, um, it was a call. It was called, was it Eat a Peach? It was this, uh, this guy named David Chang. He is a restaurateur. So he owns restaurants from Australia to wherever. And he started in New York City. But he talked about like how it was just a story and he was like i went to college to be a religion major because my parents were christians and i wanted to like prove them wrong so i needed to know all the religions and what else <laughs> and he hated it and then he he started like this restaurant in dc and then all this stuff but he talked about how much he failed and he's just he has a great podcast too but um just an interesting thing of like how his success was like dumb luck more than anything like he was like almost having to close his restaurant and then he got a good review and you know he changed his menu because of what he thought was people wanted to eat was just what he wanted to eat and so he kind of it, it was just a really good um portrayal of like like really understanding what you're trying to do but also like not being too precious with like I screwed up and, you know, I opened this restaurant in Australia and I lost $4 million because I thought Australia was a cool country. And I found out that they hate Korean food. He's like, I didn't do any research beforehand. I just was like, let's open a restaurant. And then we started serving like bao buns and everybody's like, what is this? This sucks. And so a lot of that stuff I like, um, like I said, Malcolm Gladwell, anything that's like a social commentary, um, just trying to stretch what I'm, I believe to a different place is, is really interesting for me. Um, I have a, a, a business coach that I um, have had for five years. So she's always sending books my way and pushing me to read and, and checking up on stuff. So um, she actually has my Audible account so she can tell me if I'm lying. She's like, no, you didn't read that book. <laughs> you, you got four hours it's to go. Like, so, yeah, no, it's, it's a big thing for me like because – it just helps. I mean, I think anytime we can see like a position, like I just read a book really off the wall. It was about, I don't even know why I read it, but it's called reading while black. And it was about, uh, a African American theologian who like was training people to see the Bible as a source of hope for black and Brown people and not as like something the white man gave them. 
And so that was like a really interesting, crazy deep book where it wasn't like we shouldn't be embarrassed of slavery. The idea was if, if we treat slavery like the Bible, like it was given to us for slavery, we give the power to slavery and not the power to the Bible. We should be looking past that and, and evolving. And so stuff like that, like where it just, I get like, oh, that was not what I thought it was, or that was not my position. And somebody can, you know, explain it away from me, man. That's, that's what I like. I think it's interesting. I think I've been uh, kind of on a similar journey, at least myself, as reading stuff that I think like, I, well, I, with the whole pandemic thing, um, you know, everybody, I think, had a little bit of extra time mm-hmm. on their hands, you know, necessarily not traveling as much. Or um, I was lucky enough that I still worked, mm-hmm. you know, throughout. Um, but I wasn't traveling as much. And I wasn't, you know, commuting time and all those things. So I had a little extra time. And um, it really gave me the opportunity to, like, look beyond, like, try to, you know, push my own boundaries. And if you're open to doing that, like, I found it interesting because there's still some times where, I, I push my boundaries and I go, ah, I get what they're saying, but yeah. I still disagree with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if, uh, if you know who Ibram X. Kendi is. No. Um, so he, uh, he wrote a book. He's a, he's kind of a, an upcoming individual in the, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, you know, civil equality movement, whatever, but he, he's a black guy. He wrote a book that, has gotten a lot of um, news. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Oh, okay. I, I feel like I've seen the book cover of that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of companies that are yeah. starting to use it. Um, there's a lot of business. There's a lot of things people are starting to like put it on. They're like, hey, like, we should read this. Um, so I was like, all right. like, And I heard some of his ideas, and I'm like, that guy sounds like an idiot. Yeah. So I ordered his book. To read, like, all right, I, I, need, I need to understand. Before, I, I guess it got to the point where like I kind of checked myself. I was like, okay. If I'm going to disagree with this guy and call him an idiot, yeah, I should probably listen to what he's saying. So there's a lot of times where I'm reading, the, I'm still reading it, but I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm down and down. And the next page I turn, I'm like, whoa, yeah. like, sorry, I'm not following you there. And it's, it, but it's still interesting to be able to, to have that ability to, to push yourself. And like, I think that that's an important thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the art of debate is lost right now and like factions and, um, you know, teams, we'll call it. And that's the frustrating thing is, and what was, I was, um, oh, that was from the book Reading While Black. And his big supposition was like, we should be able to debate each other on these topics. Like, we, we don't have to be upset about it. Like, but we're not willing to ever debate. We want, you know, we believe that there's a, like a totalitarian solution for everything. And if you don't believe all 10 points of this, then you're not on my team and you have to believe all 10 points over there, but you may not believe any of that. And so, man, it, it, it challenges me for a lot of stuff because like, you know, we grew up all in Wayne County, correct. Right. You know, so the country and, you know, I, I, I joke and my dad will never listen to this, but I call him like an accidental racist sometimes. And, and so he always makes me laugh. Me, what I mean by that is like, if we're in an airport together and he sees like a six, eight black guy, he'll be like, Oh man, where do you think he played basketball? I'm like, I don't think every tall black guy played basketball. Right. Like, come on, man. My dad was looking at me like, come on, man, that guy's in good shape. Like he definitely played basketball somewhere. I was like, I don't know about that. Or like, right. And like when we, back when we would Uber a lot, um, before the pandemic, like if we would Uber, we'd be like at San Diego and a guy would pick us up and his name would be like, you know, Jesus or something. 
And we're like, when did, when did you get in the country? He's like, I was born here. And I'm like, oh, oh, so you've been here? All, yeah. Yeah, I graduated from Oceanside High School. Like, I'm as American as you are. That's <laughs> right. just the name I have. <laughs> yeah. But my dad was like, he, he would always act like he was like the UN in a Uber. Like, oh, you, your car's clean. You're just doing so well. What do you want to do? And this guy's like, I'm actually just going to college right now, and this is the easiest way to make money. Right. So my dad would like automatically think like, this guy's like coming to America, and he's a first-generation, like, you know. And I'd be like, you know, I know your heart is in the right place, but, like, this world's pretty big, especially our country. And so yeah. like I always call them like episodes in accidental racism because they'll always, if he sees a name that's like ethnic at all, I'm like, oh, are you from Russia? Bro, that's a book when right you, there. Yeah. You got to write that, Shani. <laughs> yeah. You got to write it. But yeah, it's, but that's, it's just different generation stuff. And, you know, when you get to travel and do things like you, you learn a lot about stuff and, and you learn about people, I think, more than anything, and like the reality of, of life that's different from where we live, which is, which I love, but it's, it's, it's a specific way of life. Right. Well, I think it's a good point too. It's we talked about you know the technology and how far it's come since we were in high school and where we're at now. So, I mean, if you took yourself back fifty years, and then all of a sudden you're flying to San Diego mm-hmm. and you see all these people, you go, "Whoa, what? What are all these people do? Like, you know what I mean? It's a con- entirely different world. Yeah. You know, if you were in a place that." is you know like rural like montana or something Mm -hmm. like that without any type of internet without any type of you know real other world like other international and even national information just from different parts of it you would never understand like what's going on and so it's i i think it's part of the at least i don't know in my mind i think it's that clash of internet and technology that we're having now and it's like people like your dad where it's like the guy's not being malicious. Yeah. He just, just, you know, ignorant in its best and, you know, most like childlike way of yeah. like, hey, he just did, you know, like, let's give up. this guy a bigger tip because maybe he's going to start a laundromat. It's like, no, just because he's from the Middle East doesn't mean he's starting a laundromat. I know that's what you grew up with. Like, you yeah, know what like, I mean? Like, so just, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's coming from love, but like a lot of totally. people could see that and just be like, ah, oh. it's like, well, you know, Totally. This guy's 80 years old. Or I don't know how old your dad yeah. is, but you know what I mean? Like you see, like they never had the internet. They never had social media to tell them how to act. Ugh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's. Yeah. I was thinking of it when you're talking to, um, there's a show I really like was uh, Mad Men back in the day. And I, there was, what I loved about that show was like the specificity of the time where, you know, late fifties, early sixties, the mid sixties. And they'd have these little things like like sexist things like like they would show a typewriter to a, uh, like a girl and be like, you know, I know this looks really complex, but it's really easy to use. And I know for you. That's the show I was trying to think of last yeah. night or the other day when we, we did a pocket. Sorry, not to derail you, but we're talking about John Hamm. Like yeah, yeah. Toxic okay. masculinity and yeah. those things. That was the show I was thinking of because it was you. set in that time where it was just like. And oh. there was an episode we went to. Cal- <laughs> he flew to California for like a conference. And long story short, he was having this dinner, and they're like, have you ever had Mexican food? And he's like, Mexican food? What's a Mexican food? What's Mexican food? And it's like, wow. Like, he has had steak and potatoes and maybe, like, Greek and Italian food living in New York City. And they were like, yeah, it's, this is like a pepper with cheese and rice in it. And he's like, whoa. Like, it blew his mind. I'm like, man, that was like 50 years ago that it was like a chili relleno was like a, a life-altering event. I mean, I and love so, Taco Tuesdays. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just funny that that was what I loved about the show was like it, it 
that those little moments of like just ignorance and bliss was like post-war everything's great like and just this 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 blissful ignorance of anything that was happening around them it was it was funny it just was it was very interesting that they put those little nuggets in all the time that showed the the you know the age of the show i think it's important like to realize i think maybe that's even more so with like the younger people mm -hmm. that have grown up that didn't have like a cell phone that was like with the green background and like it didn't fold and it was you know there's no text messaging it was just calling it's no wood grain nokias <laughs> yeah exactly you know those, like those nextel chirps that we used to have too like the <laughs> star tax <Yeah. laughs> yeah. like this all this stuff is fairly new so it's like our brains just haven't caught up with it yet i think um I think it's it's interesting to look at it through that lens. Well, we have interns at our company every summer and fall. Or well, last year, we kind of had a continual intern rotation because nobody was in school. And so our intern this year, um, she's twenty, and we were talking about something today, and I had to like, we were having a conversation, and I had to like back up like the reference that I was using, oh. like before. <laughs> the, I can't even remember what it was. But it was like, before you used to use this, we had to use this. And it was really funny because this didn't work really well. And she was like, all right. It's not funny at all. And I, I was like, gosh. Because well, I'm, what am I, 36? I was like, man, I'm old. Like, this is terrible. And, like, I don't feel old. But then Peyton will look at me like, Friends? What, friend, what's that show, Friends? I'm like, it's on Nick at Night now. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting. And... You know, having little kids too, it's like, you know, my son's eight, and so he's just like watching this ridiculous stuff that I care so little about. Like, I'm like trying to understand Pokemon. I'm like, buddy, you're just gonna have to give your old man like a little bit of a like a pass on this because I'm not gonna be willing to learn these seven thousand characters. <laughs> we we try to like uh, encourage like stuff like Doctor Pole. Have you ever seen that? He's a veterinarian mm -mm. who just goes around and sticks his hand up cows' butts and stuff and sho shoves prolapse uteruses back in sheeps and stuff. It's like, well, like, what was kids? it? Well, it's it's like a veterinarian show. Like, it's like, it's just like that he's taking care of animals. And the we're, one time. We're, we're going to scar him. Yeah. The one time the daughter was like, what's a prolapse uterus? We're like, what? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then we come to realize it was, I mean, it didn't, doesn't like, it kind of blurs it out, but like they, it's, I mean, it's, it's medical stuff. It's, yeah. you know, it's real life. I was like, okay. Yeah. Like didn't know they made pessaries that big. For cows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also Fred did learn Pokemon to play with our nine year old. I did. And I they did had a great the time. Game. I will not. I, like, <laughs> I told miles after a, a period of time, I was like, buddy, you can talk to me about it, but I'm not going to get it. And I'm not willing to try to get it. Cause he'll just he just goes off on the handle about it. I'm like I I'm not gonna like I'll te if you can't read what the name of that thing is I'll I'll tell it to you. But like I'm not gonna and it, yeah it's just a mess. But yeah. I don't do a TV show or anything. But the card game is like it's a, it's just just a, I look at it as I break it down into the the zeros and ones. Yeah, it's it's a strategic card game. That's so that's we played that. Like, Were you making money off those cards? That's what yeah. it sounds like. No <laughs> one offs. No, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that. That's another market that's crazy. Is like it's trading cards. Holy cow! Like, the trading card did they is it back up now? It's unbelievable. The, well, you know, not shift gears, but like they unified like the 
So, I mean, I did trading cards growing up. And I I did it more for, like, I like the organizational aspect of it. So, you're like, oh, I have, like, the Bro, whole do you have all the offensive line. Yeah. yeah. You get oh, magazine. you knew them all? Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Like, so I think I still have for the Detroit Lions. I had yeah. them all. Oh, whatever. yeah. All the teams are together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I didn't trade them. But By I, position. I liked it and stuff. But, hey, I never held on to that stuff. And then, you know, if you look at the trade markets, that's another, like, really like closed end marketplace i mean what was it last week or two weeks ago tom brady's rookie card sold for like 2.7 million 2.2 million i might have to i think i have like a binder or two of like football cards somewhere that dude i've since i was little so i have friend, to flip through them i have a friend locally here that he and his in his um uh one of his friends like started actually doing it because what happens is what why it went up was they created like a, a unifying grading system. It's called PS. So like PS one to ten, ten's perfect. So if you get a PS ten of like anybody famous, like LeBron, it's in the millions of dollars. Eighty nine upper deck, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie. If it's a PS ten, you have to send it away. It takes six months, and they come back and they give you a grade. Six months, six months, because it's inundated. Like there's all these articles of guys that would spend what's called. I, I went, of course, really deep nerdy in this for like three weeks. <laughs> So they call buying wax. So they they would buy the sheets of sheets, cards yeah. uncut. And so there was this article. This guy had spent like eighteen thousand dollars on wax, and now it's worth twenty one million. Mm. Jeez, it's a good investment. Now you can't buy cards. Like you can't like where the as far as like the the valuable cards like you used to be able to go to Walmart and be like Mom, yeah hey, buy a pack right. of give me a pack of these cards <laughs> on the way out yeah. Now that stuff is and especially in the NBA side of things. Where when I was growing up, it was like, okay, I had a Honus Wagner card or a Ty Cobb card or like, yeah. you know, whatever rookie card. That was worth a lot of money. Now it's like like Patrick Mahomes' rookie card sold for like four hundred, three hundred and some thousand dollars. He's only in his fourth year. That's like crazy. he's not even yeah. in a Hall of Fame. But how many did they make of him? Uh, you know what I mean? That's, that's a great question. I wonder too. But they're like a specific like hologram. And that's sure. why the NBA went to the NFT model because they're like, they're trying to capture – like Got the evolution of the sports cards. If you look at it, there's podcasts now that talk about like, and it, it's a market that moves up. Like, so, um, geez. Oh, so, uh, the Super Bowl last year. Um, so the Buccaneers won, Tom Brady won, of course. But there was all this stuff afterwards. It was like, should you buy or should you hold or sell your Tom Brady card? Because he may not win another one and this is at his most popular. So now they're starting to sell those because he's, what, 40 something years old. And there's all of this stuff like they don't trade them. They they are selling them for enormous sums of money if they're PS10. And like the friend that I know locally, he had like a LeBron rookie card that he had bought like six, seven years ago just because he's like, ah, I want to have LeBron. And he paid like 250 bucks for it or whatever. And he said it when it was a PS, I think it was PS10 or PS9. And I think he sold it for like $17,000. Jesus. Jeez. It wasn't a rookie. I, did I say rookie? I don't think it was a rookie card. I think it was like an early LeBron card. Yeah, not even a rookie. And so card. he, so they, they, he had always kept like a small amount, and so he's making like decent money. <laughs> Just selling. But now you can't get the the packs at all. Yeah. Like guys, guys are buying it in bulk and like just storing it. So it's almost becoming like diamonds. <laughs> like you buy it and you vault it, <laughs> and then you pull it out and be like, well, I got this one. Just came out now. We didn't think there was any in rotation. Are any of the older ones worth anything, or it's oh, pretty yeah. much? So, oh yeah. So I, dude, I've got thousands of full sets, Get like no thousands shit. of cards, but full sets, complete sets. No shit. Yeah, you gotta get them right. That, that PS system is what it is. So like, if you have a PS ten of a LeBron rookie, it's worth like I think it sold for like one point seven. It was funny. It was like last month, and then he tweeted like, "Hmm, I wonder who has twelve of those in their house right now." 
him. Yeah. For and sure. so, um, like but, he needs any more money. Right. <laughs> but if you have like a PS8, that 1.7 million dollar card's maybe worth like five grand. Really? Oh, it's it falls down real quick. That's and steep. so like these. I still take five grand. It's such a dirty <laughs> thing. Piece of cardboard. <laughs> what is it called? Like unboxing? Like there's Instagram videos. Like, oh. You know how your kids like watch that? Yeah, yeah. We are, now my kids started do. watching those. I was like, no, no, you're not doing this. You are not watching other kids play toys. Yeah, unbox and play. Like shut that thing off and go do it yourself. <laughs> like, and so now just... people do that with cards, but they wear gloves. Oh yeah, and they have, have low to... light because they don't want oh, I, do the they, whole. Like, do they do like that? Was it the, the AS... heat would move the would or you, the oil on your thumb? Would, oh right. So they do they do it, like the ASM? Jesus, was it ASM where they talk into it's my not a light bulb? Come where on, they, do they like they open up the yeah. package? Oh, like it's a little talk about <laughs> in the crinkling of the yeah. screen. <laughs> ball rookie card. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and you it's don't just want the, your voice vibrations to mess up the molecules in the cardboard. But it used to be like. It used to be like cars. Schrodinger's like, cat, that car. They had a high, high end for the really rare Mickey Mantle, Honus Wagner, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if you had, like, a Barry Sanders card, who's the second all-time leading rusher and, um, you know, Hall of Famer, his car would be worth, like, 60 bucks. I don't know what his card would be worth right now, but if you got it rated by a PS10, it would have to be. I've got some Barry Sanders cards. If it's if you get it rated, but, like, I was my buddy that does it, he sent, like, I think 100 cards in. November and he, he doesn't have him back. He might have him back now. Jeez. I haven't talked to him in a month about it. But he's like, it's th- like a six month lag. How much does it cost to have that done? It's a hundred bucks a card. Wow. So you have to know, like you have to have yeah. a pretty good so it's feeling. Just, it's that. it's not a novice game. It's who like, who's how do you how do you get the qualifications to do that? To to judge these cards. So PS like so they used that was the thing. We used to have those Beckett magazines oh, yeah. and stuff. And so there was no unified like grading system of the the bill like the so you go to a card show and a guy was like, I think that's a fair uh, condition card. Well, he's tried, probably sure. knows he's sure. trying to get the money out of you. Right. So instead of making it kind of a, a smarmy thing, they made it a market. So like, it's like a credit rating. So if you're a AAA credit rated company and you want to invest or you're a, like a, a blue chip stock, that's what a PS10 is. It's like, it's like Berkshire Hathaway, like now Apple. And so, but if it's an eight, it's like, oh no, it's not really Apple. It's, you know, I don't even know what Seems a good, yeah, Best Buy. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, maybe even not that. Guess yeah. we're not getting sponsored Vizio. by yeah. Best Buy. Yeah, not quite Radio yeah. Shack, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Radio <laughs> Shack's like a, a P1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, also, it's super interesting, man. Like, like I went on a deep dive. There were a podcast I listened to. They had a guy that was like, we have this podcast. We do this card thing. And for 40 minutes, I was like, there's no freaking way this is true. And then you just start researching it. And then I had a buddy that was telling me about it. But. It's like the whole like the you know if I was eight years old again, oh, yeah. I would have just got a safety deposit box and never touched anything, and then sent it all to because I mean it has to be still good players, but like active players are in the hundreds of thousands. But that was Crazy. never the case. So, dude, I've got, I literally have that. I've got basketball, baseball, football, hockey, can we soccer. Just like, maybe like we go over the one just dude there's we have, so like just, so many of them just sitting in my garage just have like the stacks like hey just let's flip through these and yeah see if you see anything like dude i i'm kicking myself because i had i don't know where they're at anymore i had like i had cincinnati red legger cards and they they were small cards and I, I don't know where they're at i feel like they'd be worth a lot honestly i could connect you with my friend and he would be able to be like this is all garbage don't worry about it or he'd be like "Ooh, there's three cards that you should yeah. send in. because if you send a card that you could send in and it's worth 10 grand Fire away. Yeah. Have them on the podcast. I know that it's really (laughs) stringent on the grading. Like, to get a 10 is like. 
perfect condition. So you're putting this thing under like a microscope and it's it, well, now that it's such a big thing, like I mean, there's people that have if you literally Google it because they're like, I spent four hundred grand on wax and now it's worth like seventy million dollars. It's crazy. It's some. It's it's. What's funny is what you're seeing is with you know this is my philosophy, but GameStop start like is a iteration of it like the idea that the market was controlled by wall street is a falsity now and more and more every day the individual investors or pooling of investors can create markets like never before that's awesome and so simple similar like cryptocurrency like you don't have to go the regular route to you know accumulate assets and so those are things that because we're more connected and you can create marketplaces. And if you can create a baseline, like the PS scoring system, okay, now we have a market. Now we have a market. Now we have a, a way to judge cards. And that's why value skyrocketed. So like if you get like a Jordan rookie or like a specific hologram type card, I mean, it's in the millions of dollars. Those niches aren't so small, mm -hmm. geographically small anymore. And it's not like a sucker's game. Where you were at like a card show at the mall. You remember those like <laughs> oh, you yeah. go to Belton Bill oh, yeah. in the middle oh, section yeah. of the mall was just a bunch of old guys with ponytails, like <laughs> yeah. trying to sell you like, oh no, John Elway played in this jersey. Like, no, he didn't. You knew <laughs> and you signed no. it. Yeah. And um now it's there's an actual authentication system similar to like a credit rating for a company when you go like public. So it's it's really interesting, and that's where my mind always goes, is like that is a true it's a stock market. It's like a small version of the NASDAQ. Right. And there's going to be more and more of that. But the problem is there's going to be people that, like you said, there's going to be cryptocurrency. There's going to be five things that look like cryptocurrency that are not it. And you get suckered into it. So it's. You got to do your research. You it's just like tech companies back then. It's like, oh, this is the Facebook of food delivery. And you <laughs> give all your money and then they, it doesn't go anywhere. But then no. it's like, hey, like what's that? Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk guy. You know who that is? Gary V. Oh, he's annoying. He's written a bunch of books. Uh, he's, but he was like, um, he's very tight in the, in the technology business. You would actually probably like him. He gets old. He's very just like New York and doesn't care. Um, but his big thing is like, he, he invested, he made a lot of money investing in like tech startups, but he's like, I was, I could have gave fifty thousand dollars and had like a twelve percent ownership and owner stake in Uber, and I was like, "This is stupid." So I didn't give them my like my and it was my friend who was like, "We're going to do this thing," and he's like, "You're never going to be taxis." So he didn't give him the money. He's like, "That fifty thousand dollars would have been like some crazy number right. in the hundreds of millions of dollars." But that's all of his. He does a lot of that stuff. He's big in the trading cards thing too. Um, he wants to buy the jets. But he talks a lot about like that investing, how it was like in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, like everybody had like, we're going to be the Facebook of, or we're going to be the, <laughs> this and that. yeah. And, and so it was like, yeah, I gave a lot of money to things that didn't work, but I also gave some money to things that like, like 15 grand got me 4% of a company that sold for, you know, I think, what was the one he, he had like, it's called the wine library. And it was like this online wine thing it was a family company and he actually invested in it whatever and it sold for 700 million dollars and he gave like Jeez. his brother i'm probably butchering the story but he gave like whoever was in charge like 20 grand to build the website no, and that. then <laughs> he cashed in at like a ton of money well it's it goes I, it goes back to the cards and everything else like it all it takes is just finding that 
that one thing that takes off, obviously you're going to, you're going to fail. And I think that's one of the biggest things that like I hear successful people talking about is how much you have to be willing to fail, but you can't put everything in one basket. It as an investor or, you know, you have to go, okay, this, this crazy idea, this crazy idea, this crazy idea. I think they may all work out and if they do, it's going to be great. Um, But you have to find those niche things that turn out to be niche things. And niche things are, becoming more and more bigger because we're able to connect. You know, it's funny. You're talking about the cards. I, um, I found a, I have a silver dollar from, was it 1932? I think something Jeez. like that. And I'm like, man, like, I wonder how much this thing's worth. Obviously it's an ounce of silver. So it's at least worth 30 bucks, you know, but then like the, the grading of it, if it would have been kept perfect, yeah. it'd be cause the, the type it was or type it is like, it'd be worth like five grand. But like I'm looking at it and they have like little pictures. You can like uh, adjust it and look at like, oh, maybe if it's this condition, this condition, like all the way down the grading scale, it's like mine might be worth like 80 bucks. And it's in really, really good condition, but it's not perfect. Like it's like if you have those things, some of those people, you know, land on those gold mines. But Yeah, and that's like, you know, if coins, and I, I don't know a ton about coins, but I know that like, similar to the way cards were like there isn't like a general like total unifying grading system that everybody believes in and if something like that if they if they figure out how like and that's the thing that the the trading cards to me is a lesson is if you can quantify a grading system and everybody like behaves or everybody believes in it and and utilizes that as the gospel now you have a market and that's how you organize and that's how you close that's how you can close in the market and now you have an opportunity to um really see growth and that's what always was i think people just didn't understand and they all just thought like the stock market is this thing that i don't really get and these people in new york do and i give my money to this guy raymond james and he never talks to me again but he sends me this thing in the mail and it looks like i'm making money so i guess i won't ask him more questions and now you're seeing people like, what if we took that mentality and unified like rules and regulations and then created markets in these niche areas? They're going to be a lot more volatile, right? but they're also the upside swing. So it's like if, if all of a sudden in six months, coins become a big thing because, you know, some type of, you know, companies like, hey, we're going we're gonna to be the people that grade everything. Send your coins to us for this fee and the industry takes that as gospel, your coins are going to be worth many, many times more than what they are because now we have a market. And that's the thing that people didn't have years before. There was just, it was all secondary. It was yeah, all. It was a I certified don't. stamp on yeah. it. They're going to call it like Coinbase tangible or something. <laughs> you can't. I'm, I'm, some guy, some nerd is doing that right now is writing the code for that. But I mean, I think that's what the idea is of all the stuff that's, like secondary currency or secondary market stuff, um, niche or whatever you want to call it. That is the big unlock is like, if you can quantify the rules and regulations, you got a market. And if you can, if you can attract people and that's when it goes up and people just didn't get that for a while. Well, that's the key there, right? Is quantifying it and attracting people. Cause going back to our, you know, currency talk, it's only worth something if someone believes it's worth something. if the majority of people believes it's worth something, obviously if you can find that one person that's believes it's worth something, but 
you know, it's money and. I gotta see if my cards are worth something now. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of good cards, but. Yeah, like, dude, I, I, like, literally, dude, I've got that. Like, he lives in town. Lives I'm in talking town. like yeah. huge Rubbermaid containers, just full. We'll have to have them on because I know, like, even like the. It sounds, for most people, it sounds kind of boring. But like, when you talk about just the idea behind it, like, mm-hmm. like there's this, this giant market out there of these people. It's just yeah. that's that's super interesting. You 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 know him. You probably know him. And I just don't want to say his name because I don't know. Oh yeah, True. he's okay. Yeah, but like, True. yeah, no, for it sure. We can talk. That's a secret to you, but we can um, talk about afterwards. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because I was reading about it, and then my wife and his wife are friends, and she was like, "Oh yeah, he's like really into trading cards." It's so weird. I was like, "What?" I just like <laughs> spent like a week, <laughs> like, yeah, literally laying in bed, like, "Wait, why is this? <laughs> what? Why?" And so I like found him, and I was like, "Are you really doing this?" He's like. Bro, I made like twenty grand last month. I was like, "Jeez, oh, yeah, tell me more." Yeah, apparently, like, you are. And I got a hundred cards waiting to get like rated by the PS. I was like, "Jeez." So, but yeah, it's it's wild, man. And but it's it's more about like not so much what it is; it's how it's being done. And that's this is the the, the evolution, in my opinion, of the tech bubble. It's like instead of startups, startup companies, it's going to be startup markets. And so maybe it's something that you're going to get into, like. I don't know what it would be. Like, if you could quantify tires, you can do it in a different way. You can quantify, if, if there's a limited supply of goods, then you set a standardized market and regulations for it. Now you got, you got a marketplace. And that's interesting. It's, it's really like your freshman year of finance that they tell you, like, this is how a market works. And I don't think anybody ever took it to the place where now we have the technology. And now we have the ability to communicate with everybody where it's like, no, the card you bought in Buffalo is not going to be as worth the card that was sold in Denver. Now it is. And now it's a commodity. So I, would, I, I look forward to the commodity. What's the, how to say it? Commoditization. That's the way to say it. Of uh, it other good. really weird things. Like what happens if that happens to bourbon in a real way? Ooh, we like better stop a, drinking. There's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I, I'm good drinking my the, stuff because I probably buy the cheap shit. <laughs> but we know the we know the secondary market's crazy. But like, yeah. there still isn't a regulation. For, yeah. Like, if if you were able to to really figure out, but that food and drug is going to never let you make the money. No. But something in that way where there's a finite government. supply, <laughs> black market. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. When that's like they shut down all those Facebook pages. Crypto. Yeah. <laughs> Pay me. Yeah. Blockchain. Build it on the blockchain. I'm telling you. Oh, did we just find an idea right there? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's Blockchain a lot. Blockchain bourbon? Yeah, there you go. Get by the URL right now. <laughs> Blockchain bourbon. I don't know how it would work because I don't exactly, but I know you can do a lot of things on the blockchain that I don't know how to do them. <laughs> I had a conversation with some guy and he was trying to explain to me blockchain. Oh. He was like, oh, my friend owns like some blockchain and it's like attached to the, uh, what's the, what's the, what's Hoover Dam? What? And the power of the water like energy that he's doing it is like his the calculations and i was just like like three minutes in the conversation i passed out but he was explaining think, blockchain to me like tony's doing a pee dance over here i can i can actually i could actually go for a, a bathroom break too so we can take a, can a we, quick we break wanna do like dueling swords we want to all do it at once uh, <laughs> i got a big bathroom oh uh. <laughs> did you get to hear how you got herpes oh. um by the way just a story on herpes um <laughs> that time that you told me you got a Tony? Um, no. We actually, you ever, you guys know what Cameo is probably, right? Who? Cameo. Cameo. Oh, is that where like the stars like will, uh, like famous people? 
Yeah. So we'll, like record my brief no, appearance. Yeah. One of my employees is like a really uh, big fan of the WWE. And he's an adult, so I make fun of him mercilessly. So when he had his birthday, um, I guess I forget who it was. I tried to get Ric Flair, but he was like seven hundred bucks, and I'm like, I'm not giving you that kind of money. Woo! So I got some like I got some like wrestler <laughs> yes. to do it, but they're supposed to be like happy birthday, brother, whatever. So, but you get to tell him what to say. <laughs> so I told him like, hey man, I know it's your birthday. You know, I I know you just found out you had herpes. Get, you can get through it, man. Just tell your wife. I'm with your friend. Like, so he was super pumped that like one of his wrestling heroes was talking to him, but then was, he was consoling him about getting herpes. Oh like, my gosh! That's why I love cameo. Oh, that's awesome. So if you ever want to just really make fun of somebody, really like mess with somebody, yeah, get like the seventh star of the office to tell them like, I'm sorry you have bone cancer. It's <laughs> always fun. Oh. Because they, they get they get really excited and they're yeah. like, oh. oh man, Kevin from the office is talking to me. Like, oh yeah, you don't have pancreatic cancer. <laughs> That's messed up. Um, I don't remember where we ended before the bathroom break, but I did. You we talked about books. We talked about. Um, oh, real quick, do you do you have like a time frame that you? you do? I don't. Um, okay, I just I, wasn't sure. My boss, my wife, uh, gave me the go ahead. <laughs> okay. The kids are already in bed, probably. So. Okay, I wasn't sure. Not, not quite, but um, close enough. You mentioned books a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, if you had to, because I've been looking into books. So, like, top, like, three books that you would suggest, just out of my curiosity. So, genre speaking, um, so actually, I don't know what you do for a living. So, that would maybe help me. It doesn't matter what I do for a living. I'm curious. That's, okay. I'm curious for a living. Um, but I want to learn something. But just in general. So, so I would say, it's going to be hard for me to say for you, like, not for me, just in general. If you're like general. top three books, like if most three, three most important books from that I've read. Yeah. Number one, it was a book um, I'm actually rereading because I'm I struggle to to adhere to a lot of the stuff that's in it that I love. It's called Building Your Story Brand. So it's a, by Donald Miller, and really interesting book if you're into sales. Um, basically, what he breaks down is he's he's actually an author of fiction books, um, and he was an author of a very funny, a very important book when I was in college. And I'll joke because I went to a Christian university and he wrote this book about like questioning your faith. So that was the book you like put on the outside of your like, like business book to walk through the hall. So a girl would be like, Ooh, that guy's deep. He's questioning his faith. And I'd be like, yeah. Do you want to have a coffee later and talk about this? This is a really complex subject. So it was like the cool, like hip, like, not really going against the rules, but like I'm thinking about maybe not listening to people. And so he wrote those books <laughs> and then he randomly, he wrote this book on business, which is really interesting. And the whole thesis of the book is that the reason why like um, movies follow the same tropes, like rom-coms, it's like good guy wants girl, girl's with bad guy, girl doesn't see guys bad, blah, 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 guy, good guy, good girl, and the end work. And it's like we... His whole thing was like, I ruin every movie I walk with, watch with my wife because she'll be like, oh, that guy's not going to get the girl. That guy's going to get the girl. This guy's going to die, whatever. And so it's the art of storytelling. And those well-worn tropes, Hollywood knows people will show up for. And so Hollywood, in the end, is a money-making business. So his big thing on in your personal company is simplify your story brand to understand 
the story you're trying to tell. And his thing is like, find, find the, not the victim. The victim is the client, but you find the, the, <laughs> the bad guy. Um, and you, you isolate the bad guy and, and that's how you should tell your story is how to uh, have them avoid that. So you want to be the good guy in the rom-com. And so a lot of it takes away from like, you know, there's a book that everybody I think read or a lot of people read it was by a guy named Simon Sinek, like start with why. And it was about all of this very high level communication on why you do what you do. And so he would, everybody did the why statement, which was like an evolution of a mission statement. And I'll land this. But the why statement was always like a big paragraph of $10 words on why you do what you do. And his thing was like, I don't believe in that because you're not, your client isn't going to work with you because you're how smart you are. They're going to work with you because you solve a problem. And so building your story brand is building the story of your company so that you can as quickly and as specifically meet the need of your clients or who you're going after. So that's been a big book because I think on my side of the table as a, as a business owner, entrepreneur, like I get in my own head about how smart I want to sound. And really his is like, it's clarity, not specificity. And so there's a big difference there. So instead of giving seven illustrations on how smart you are, like our company models, we help you find all the money. Like those are, I was at seven, one syllable words or two syllable words. And so that was a big difference. That was a big change for me because as I was growing through my twenties, like you're always trying to tell everybody how smart you are. And that's for you. That, that Those things were for me to feel good about what I said. I wasn't trying to connect with people and that book changed how I, I viewed that. So start with why super easy book. Um, Oh, no, that's not Star Wars. That's Simon Snack. Uh, Building Your Story Brand, uh, super easy book. Um, I really liked that David Chang book. I think you'd like it a lot, uh, Eat a Peach. He has this really great illustration. I'm actually getting a tattoo, which I'm not a tattoo guy, but from that book I'm getting it because he gives this illustration of on the Korean culture about lobsters and how why they're such a sacred animal because lobsters can, grow, can be over 100 years old and lobsters continually molt and lose their shell and grow bigger. And the next shell is always harder and better. And the only time you know that a, a lobster is dying is when he stops molting. And so his big thing is like molting is scary because you lose your shell and you lose your protection, but you have to trust that the new shell that you're going to grow is going to be better for you and going to give you more room to grow. And so I'm actually getting like a lobster on my arm, which sounds really stupid, but um, cause that means a lot to me. And that was a big challenge for me. Like the curiosity thing of if we can, understand that philosophy of like continually like finding our ceiling and then breaking through it or breaking our shell. That's, that's a, a big thing for me. Um, I'm trying to think of a, I'm going to cheat here and look at my audible and just Go see if there's it. anything I would say. <laughs> so I'm like, why well, don't the show now? <laughs> that's awesome. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other book I would say, I, I love I, it. I'm such a Malcolm Glombo honk. So I apologize if everybody's read all his books. Um, the last book that he, he wrote, which is a really interesting, I'll tell you, do it on audible because he does it more theatrically. Um, he reads it, but there's also music involved. It's uh, talking to strangers and he breaks down a lot of social issues, social happenings, like the Sandra Bland. She was the, the lady that was pulled over in Texas and ended up hanging herself in her cell. And the, the understanding of like breaking down the whole situation, understanding who that cop was. 
and everything that happened and breaking down, you know, why there's two sides to every story. And he, the way he writes his books a lot of times, they're almost in short story form. So there'll be like 12 of those. So they're like 40 to 50 pages a piece or 30 pages maybe. And they're all on a common theme, but it's different iterations of that. So I really like how he writes because I struggle with like a 500 page book. Sometimes I'm like, all right, get to where he dies. Like, where am I at here? Who cares? <laughs> right. And um, so that book was really important for me. Like, that's like a social issue thing. Not to be, I hate the term woke, because he actually gives a lot more um, perspective from the police side of things and little things like to be really specific about that. Sandra Bland, like when that cop came up to her car, one of the things that was going on in their community was there was a lot of drugs being run from out of state. And so she had an out of state plate and then she had, she had just moved there. So she had all of these fast food emptying containers in her back seat. So that's a lot of times a telltale sign of somebody that's mewling into the town. Like they drove in to drop something yeah. off and is leaving. And um, that cop also was like somebody that had like a almost a two and a half times more um, stop rate than any other cop. And they didn't identify that in time. And so he was kind of like a trying to be a hero all the time. So he broke down a lot of it from like not being like white cop hates black people. Like it was a lot of like how everything broke down from her coming in. She was moving from her. She had like family died. She moved to Texas for a new job, was trying to start over then got pulled over by a cop. So she was emotionally in a bad state. So it gave like a lot of the color to it. So that was a really important book for me to just like, just push like my narrative. Cause you know, like we said, from Wayne County, I think we're like from an area that's really practical. So a lot of times throughout my life in these situations where like, you know, I'm not going to be able to solve that stuff, but like with um, police brutality, things of that nature, race issues, like my initial mindset is like um practicality like don't be a jerk and don't do this and don't like how your parents be like don't be in the back seat of the car the guy that was driving drunk like that's your fault and you get it and like oversimplifying big situations and that was a book that kind of pushed me to be like okay if there's a hundred percent blame how does it get divvied up but also how do you get better and um that was a really important book for me too. So those are kind of three like business, just like fun reading. Cause I really like David Chang. I think you guys will like him. He's kind of a, uh, he's a really interesting guy and he's, he's very opinionated. Um, and then that book from Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell, and he's got a great podcast. If you guys don't listen to that, um, what's it called? Was it, is it, uh, you looked up Michael, what, how do you say Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. It's uh, Malcolm Oh, it's something history. Blank. Why am I so stupid that I can't think of his name? Revisionist history, which is just a great name. So his whole thing is like um, re-looking re, re at historical events and bringing perspective that you probably thought you didn't know about. So that's a whole other line of conversation. He's just really uh, – I don't believe everything he does. I mean, I think he's, he's definitely more on the, the woke side of things, but um, he definitely is thought-provoking. And really thorough when he does things. So I think that's it. Sounds like I'm about to pick me up another book or two. Honestly, the the number one thing to do is like download his podcast because he does these little thirty minute bits on like. Is he on like Spotify or like oh, yeah. all those other? Oh, yeah. I'll I'll check him out because I'm always looking for new stuff to. Yeah. Like he has uh, like really a fun one is um, they talk about McDonald's and how they change their fries. 
in the when we were like in the 80s when we were kids and the idea was they changed it because they used beef fat and it made them amazing and then all these people came and were like beef fat's bad for you so they changed it to homogenized vegetable oil which is actually worse for you doctor correct? yeah and he goes yeah. through like <laughs> give me the towel yeah exactly yeah. and so but they also said like at that time mcdonald's fry was like 4.7 ounces and now a large fry is like 13.9 so it's like Holy more fries of the worst kind yeah he was like super size better man. product less of it you would sell and mcdonald's like and so they did all these taste tests but he just talks about how like the perspective of like people thought like vegetable oil has to be better than beef oil because vegetables better than beef <laughs> and it was this one guy who had a heart attack and he was a millionaire and he fought mcdonald's and they changed and all this backstory to find out that this guy was wrong but mcdonald's just for the pr stunt was like now made with vegetable oil right and was killing more people because they were giving them like 200 percent of the volume of a worse type of oil to to fry things in so okay oh it's incredible to think about it i think that really oh, i don't know why it does that i still i need a tech guy um it feeds into usually like cuts out like 10 seconds so not even 10 seconds it's like three seconds when it does that i don't think it's done that the whole time all right anyways um it feeds into your uh the you know discussions about how you know because i look at the exact the same way like it's i'm very practical yeah i'm very f numbers based and kind of like all right this is what it is this is you know don't be a jerk and yeah you know if you run into another jerk stay away from that jerk and you're probably going to be okay yeah. you know but um the the nuances of of life and experiences and, and you know tying in with your dad traveling different places and just seeing somebody that looks a little different and thinking, Oh, you know, it's, there's so many things that go on on a constant basis that we just, it's hard to see, um, what's really always going on. Um, I like the, you know, you said something about two sides to every story. Yeah. Um, I, Three. Some, I, I was going to say, I, I was, that's literally what I was about to say. You know, I've, that was one of the biggest pieces like of advice that I've ever like kind of, absorbed was there's always three sides to a story mm -hmm. his side her side and the truth yeah somewhere in there <laughs> like yeah. and that's what like for me like with God, like gladwell when he's great he leaves it at the op leaves it open sometimes a little bit of his influence i mean he's a of course a very liberal guy he's from canada uh, super interesting guy but sometimes he does like make the conclusion for you but when i, I feel like when he's at his best he's like making a great argument and though yeah i won't be a fanboy too much but there's so many great art like i listen to re-listen to podcasts from him all the time because just really weird topics or really small ideas like he blows up into this like this huge idea like the idea of like genius and he uses the song hallelujah which is a really crazy thing um and he's just a really really prolific thought person and so and they're 30 minutes you're like in and out by the time you get to work and you're not like it sometimes those rogan podcasts are like four hours is a week of my time yeah. to get through one of them and i forget what they were talking about by the time it's in the end anyway <laughs> so no he does a lot of good stuff well, i can enjoy that it's the exploring the the whole depth of it you know it was i actually had a conversation with somebody recently about um 
they had said something or posted something or done something. I was just like, Hey, like, what do you mean by that? Like, cause I don't get like, cause there's like three different references is one thing. And I was like, I don't, what do you, how are you connecting all these things? I don't know what you, you know, what you're talking about. Um, and they had mentioned the podcast or whatever. They're like, you know, don't worry about it. like your questions are always kind of like genuine and curious. I'm like, well, that's kind of what we do. I said, but, and even when we, I think it's extremely difficult for us as humans to, try to even when we're being open-minded to not have our biases kind of seep in sure you know what i mean and it's regardless of how hard you try to do that it's still going to happen but i think going back to what you like continually challenging yourself like that's super important especially with the flood of information you can dig through and yeah i mean not to bring it back to the bible but like paul said we continually find myself doing the things that i don't want to do and I think <laughs> yeah. I, we continue to find ourselves thinking the things that we we don't want to challenge, and it's tough to continue to do that because it's really easy to be like, well, that guy's an idiot. Right. And then, like, um, you know, something that really random that I remember Dave Chappelle said years ago, it was on Inside the Actor Studio. It was after he went he went to Africa or whatever, that whole thing went down, and he was like, you know, the worst thing you can call somebody is crazy because that's dismissive. That means you didn't take the time to understand what they're saying. He's like, oh, what he did, I would never do that. That's crazy. And if you didn't know the backstory of what the decision was, now maybe it could be crazy, but if you just read a headline or take something at face value and say oh, it's crazy, um, a lot of times you really miss the the purpose of what happened. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. man, it, it, it's something that, I mean, I'm definitely not perfect or even close to anything like that, but it, it's it's interesting to me to see, uh, successful people, but also learning like successful people that failed a bunch um, and figured it out kind of on accident. And then it helps you as an entrepreneur or as a business owner be like, okay, I don't have to beat myself up so bad. Like I didn't bankrupt the company. <laughs> right. I just, you know, had my zipper down. And so, yeah, it's this perspective that is what a lot of this helps me gain for sure. Yeah. And I think – I think using those two keywords, crazy and successful, yeah. by whose standards? Yeah. You know, that's what it comes down to. At least for me, it's like, all right, successful by whose standards? What do you consider success? Because there's a lot of things that people, you know, that de- their definitions is, mu- is much different. Same thing as successful, you know, crazy. All those. Th- all right, what do you? <laughs> What do you consider crazy or yeah. successful? Or what do you consider crazy successful? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Most like, of the things that Tony does, I feel like are crazy. Because <laughs> 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 this company's cut down trees in my house and they saw like these dudes like flying up trees and knocking them down. And yeah, I could never do any of that stuff. And It's all calculated. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that, that's totally not anything that I could even understand. And like, but yeah, I mean, like we keep saying, like continually pushing Yourself, even though we're in Wayne County, Ohio, and we're probably not going to be president of the United States, or maybe we will we'll be crypto rich one day, but um, that still doesn't mean like, and that's why I struggle. I have a brother-in-law who's like really, and we'll talk bad about him, but he's really kind of off his way right now. And he struggles with like, just like a manic attitude on things. And um I always kind of tell them, like, you can't fix the world. Like, you get so wrapped up. It's like, man, be good you today or, you know, whatever. Right. Like, and his his struggle is always like, yeah, but 
you know, whatever, sex trafficking or, you know, this and that, and deep state. And he gets in all these, like, yeah, there you go. (laughs) And he gets in all these, like, really deep, but he does it in a way that's, you know, it's actually right now, I feel like it's past its usefulness. And now it's becoming almost like a cult thing for him. And I'm not speaking on, I've watched some of the stuff. It's not really that what I believe is right or wrong. It's just his attitude towards it. I was like, man, if you lose touch with with reality and society, like that's never good. And there's a lot of stuff there that he, I'm always trying to push him to be like, I know you see all this bad. I do too. But like, you gotta go to work. Like, what if you were just a really good worker the rest of your life and you treated everybody fair? Like, that's a good life. Just because you didn't eradicate sex trafficking in, you know, Ethiopia or Istanbul, like, that doesn't mean you didn't have a valuable life. Like, you have to, like, set your sights on something that's attainable. And maybe over time that grows into a place. But, like, you don't go from not doing anything to the CEO. And I think that's a lot of people in our our, our world right now miss the – the grind part of life because now you can start a podcast and be a millionaire or like fart on YouTube and make $10 million. Like, so they see that and like, well, but that's for a couple people, but the rest yeah. of us got to go like intern salesman, regional manager, national manager, president. CEO. Yeah, and, and then what happens? So what happens if you get that million dollars and you didn't grind, but you lose it? Yeah. That's what, yeah. And the appreciation isn't there. No. And you didn't know how you got it in the first place, so you don't know how to get the next one. Yep. There's some people that are just lucky. I mean, this period, point blank, like they had a good idea and they made a lot of money and there's nothing against them. But, you know, that would be like me being like, well, you know, why can't I play in the NBA? Like, well, I didn't get the genetic lottery that those guys got. Like, and you, you're probably not going to get that either on an idea. So you're probably going to have to grind. And maybe at some point you'll hit the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, I, I think it's you. I, it really hit me when you said, you know, you can't, you're not going to just go from intern to CEO. Yeah. And I think applying that to life is a really interesting. You want you want another water? No, I'm good. You're good? Okay, I wasn't sure. I was so you're empty. Um, I think it's it's a really interesting thought of applying that to life. Yeah. Because it is frustrating. Um, I I found myself in some semi dark places um last year with the whole like because i had because i for the longest time just a little personal background um i didn't give a shit about anything it was like i hate people i don't want to talk to people i don't want this i don't i don't want to deal with anything just leave me alone um and obviously here i am we started a podcast where i talk to people (laughs) on camera so things have changed but i and then it was all right i really started looking into you know different investings and things to like just help myself out and then it was getting in, not necessarily involved, but understanding with the political aspect and what was going on. Because last year was the first time I had voted since I was 18. Because mm-hmm. I was like, why am I doing this? It doesn't matter. So I had a very like nihilistic approach to everything. Um, so I found myself down those rabbit holes of getting frustrated with, ah, the media is lying to me and all these things. And it's like, I'm not going to change that. Yeah. You know? Like you said, you you took the uh, the Facebook. I mean, it might have been before, or it might have been during. But like, you took the Facebook like app off the phone, so you yeah. you know you can't just click it and just yeah. feed yourself all that negative crap all day long. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it was like, oh, like there's got to be a balance here. So like, there's like, yeah, I got to go to work. I got to pay my bills. I got to like try to keep a happy home as much as I can. So like, but if you want to still be active, you still want to try to change things or whatever, then 
yeah. what can you do in the meantime? Like, but like you said, it's not going to help to get freaked out and, you know, piss your entire family off and ruin your life for this yeah. crazy, you know, rabbit hole you're going to go down and never yeah. do anything with. Yeah. But what, you know, I a hundred percent agree. And that's the, thanks. That's the, um, you know, we, like I said earlier, we have interns at my company and, and I really believe in that, um, program. We're, I have a small company. Um, but I, about five years ago, we started doing interns and that was a real thing for me. Like my dad started a company and he's like, you know, he's a baby boomer. He started it with an idea and like, I think I can do this. And so I have to respect that he literally like created our company out of nothing, but where I need to take it or where I'm skilled or, you know, interested in taking it, we had to continue to evolve. And one of the things was with interns because, you know, I have a finance degree and I don't use anything I got from my finance degree. And um, like our internship that we do, uh, pathway that we do, depending on what the focus is, is like very much, it's not bullying. It's not go wash my car, go get my lunch. Like that doesn't also help anybody. But it's also not like you get to go to this business meeting and sit here and say anything. Like you can come, but you're not going to sit at the table. You're going to sit there. You're going to watch business people operate and you're not going to say anything because you haven't earned it yet. But I'll let you be in the room. I'll let you travel with me, but you're, you can hand stuff out, but you're not going to say anything about our company. And they need to understand that like, that is what, like when I graduated college, I answered the phone. I, back when we had fax machines, I sent faxes <laughs> and pulled stuff off the printer. Like that's what my dad made me do. So I could understand that you don't just go to be salesman because you're the, you're the son of the boss. But I think that's a big thing that people forget is like, you know, we have all of these other avenues, which are great to earn money. And, and it's not so close ended, like go get a job and, and work, work, work. There are other avenues for those creative people. But for most people, the idea of grinding, which means just being so good at your job that you get bored and have to get a promotion. Um, there's another great book. That's another book that you should read. It's called Range um, by David. It's a it's a powder blue title. That's a great book. Powder blue. You may remember the, the book cover. cover. Uh, it's a book called Range. And what it is is a great, and I know I'm dovetailing here, but it's a great idea. Um, his, his thesis of the whole book, David Epstein, his thesis of the whole book is that. Oh, what a sad last name. Let, yeah. He he talks about Tiger Woods because Tiger Woods at like 18 months picked up a golf club. And so everybody saw that and he became the greatest golfer of the modern era. And they go, well, that, that's what, that's, that's the blueprint. And really his thesis is actually differentiating. It's not being the master of one. Yep. That's, that's the book. And that's his whole thing is about having your kids play multiple sports, being good at multiple things. When you hire somebody, don't look at somebody that's worked at one job for 10 years because they probably were unhappy and weren't willing to speak up or weren't, didn't bet on themselves enough to go after what they wanted. They'd rather be invisible and take the check. If you have somebody that's been in seven jobs in seven years, but has always worked, that means they're actively looking for a passion. And if that's your job, that's your company, you're going to have better results with that. And so most people look at resumes his thing is incorrectly. They look at like, oh, he's only been one place. He's, you know, I've done a lot. Like, oh, this loan officer's been at four different companies. Uh, it seems like a job hopper. It's like, well, maybe those four companies didn't support him or her. 
and so range talks about being like a a master of none but being very proficient in a lot of areas and i think that's what most people don't do it's like i want to be the ceo i want to own the company so i want to i want to tell everybody what to do and it's like you know you have to be told what to do and then through that understand what you don't like and build your worldview of business or whatever you're doing through that and then at a certain point you have enough background to go after what you want to do so that's another great book too more hitting you guys um for that stuff so ranges and it's a really easy read in audiobook well i think too i you know once again as you're talking through and you know you talk about the intern and you know i i did not go to college i did not do the the intern route the business route different things and you know you but you hear a lot about that like i've been in the situations different companies where it's you have the the new person that comes in they want to they want to do something they want to do something they want to work they want to do this they want to um which i get which is it's great that you have this tenacity to yeah you know to move forward but when nothing no amount of education or titles or pieces of paper beats experience yeah. you know and i you kind of look at it and, and it instead of just the intern has to sit there because they haven't necessarily earned it well, it's not just in my mind, you know, as you're talking about, it's not necessarily that they haven't earned the ability to do something, but they haven't earned the knowledge yeah. to be able to do something. You know, it's kind of like you think about someone who built a house, you know, think of a, a company. I'm just going to use a weird analogy that I thought I was here talking, but, you know, owning the company is being able to build a house. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You have to, you have to know how to dig the basement. If yeah. you live in an area where you're going to dig a basement, you know, you have to lay the block. You have to know how to do that. Then you have to know how to lay the subfloors and the walls. And you have to know how to put the roof on. You have to know how to run the electric and the plumbing and, you know, finish the flooring and, you know, build the deck and put the driveway in. Well, how do you do you, you Most people, the best way to do that is you watch somebody do it. You know, that you, mm-hmm. you get to the intern sitting in the corner and seeing, oh, okay, you see the interactions between people. You see how those business meetings work. And I think... There's a lot of times um, that I've seen that people just – it gets attributed to them that they think that they just wanted – that they have the capabilities of doing these things without deserving them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it's not necessarily deserving. You just haven't learned how to do this stuff yet. Yeah. So, like, you got to learn it. Like, yeah. And, you know, if you have a good mentor as an intern, like, you can learn a lot of stuff. Just yeah. – you got a lot of time. You got, you got, it's just everybody's different. I mean – you look at different people and different successes. And that's one of the things that with the Gladwell podcast, he, he'll illuminate a lot of times is like certain people are just going to learn things really fast and going to get to that place of knowledge quicker than others. And that doesn't mean the people that get there slower are worse. Um, so you look at like, you know, of course the, the example everybody's going to use is like Mark Zuckerberg leaves college and creates Facebook at 20 whatever i think he fell into that yeah in a sense i mean obviously he put it work in but but he (laughs) but he was able to very quickly when it was presented to him create something and move quickly through that and create something that was unique and and change the world but also like you look at ray Kroc, who was officially the founder of mcdonald's like he didn't come across the first mcdonald's which was owned by two brothers until he was like in his late 40s he was a, a milkshake machine salesman but 
after all the failures, he had everything. He continued those to. Sh- those to, things are always breaking too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ice cream machine never <laughs> <Yeah>. worked. <laughs> Sorry. But, like, but uh, you look at him and like, yeah, yeah, he was worth hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars in the seventies and eighties because he actually, at, at that point he was ready to, to create his empire or, or be the president of everything. But that doesn't mean that his story is worse than Zuckerberg because he got there quicker. And that's what I want to, tell like our interns a lot of times or young people when I get to talk to them every once in a while is like you want it now but you don't know how long you have and you may get it now you may find an idea you may have a, a thought you may make a video or whatever it is and you may get to where you want to go quickly but if you don't get there quickly don't feel like there's something wrong with you or also don't think that it won't come there's so many, so many stories of people that had success early, middle, late in their career, late in life. Colonel Sanders. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So all that stuff. And so that, I think it's just like I know we're now becoming old people where I'm telling young people to be patient. But it's not being patient. It's be resilient. Like just because you're not – like you go in this company and you think it's going to be great and, you, you know, you're a financial advisor with, you know, some big firm and you find out like this sucks – like nobody's gonna be mad at you if you switch and go into teaching or you you find your value somewhere else, and I think there's so much pressure I think now with how universities are run is like find your your thing and then go do it and it's like you know Rogan always talks about like your brain isn't fully formed to like 24 or wow. something, and so you're like trying to make a decision at 20 to be like when I'm 50 I'm still gonna love this like don't be so like finite in that and that's what that book talks about is like do a lot of things. And you may find out that, you know what, I want to be a gym owner. I want to be something else. You find out that you can quantify your passion. You go, well, you know, I love to work out. Not, of course I don't. But um, I love to work out, but I'll never make money at that. Why? Or I love to do this, but that's more of a hobby. It's like, no, that's generally what you should be doing. And a lot of people are scared to be like, well, okay, I got to get this accounting job because then I and then I can let me do my passion. That's like. Man, it actually should be the other way and be not be so scared to take that chance. But you got to get to the point where financially you're set, you know, wisdom-wise you're set, and you have the right resources around you. You just got to be patient for that moment. And a lot of it doesn't come in your 20s. <laughs> yeah. Just just be okay with that, yeah. you know. I don't, so, even, I don't even know if it's to say you're set. you just at least balanced. You know, in my mind, that's, it's, that's how it's worked out, in, you know, for me is – um, in my mind, it was one of those things where, okay, like I never, there was a time where I didn't really necessarily like all the things that I did, but I found a job that I can, I said, okay, I can live with this. Mm-hmm. It may not be my dream job, but it, it checks enough boxes and gives me enough freedom that I could say, I, it was the first time that I, I could, in my mind, I, I was okay with saying, I could retire doing this yeah, because all of the boxes that were checked in, it allows me to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know, um, did you love trees as a young child? Oh, were you a guy that looked at trees? Like, I want to knock no, you, Have you ever heard that backstory I of what, wanna, how he got into this that? tree over? No. So I looked at trees as my dad would walk through the woods and, and my grandpa and they'd be like, well, this is a cherry tree. This is an oak tree. And I'm like, how the hell does every male over 40 years old know what every tree <laughs> yeah. in the forest is? Same thing. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand this. Like, it's just 
some innate knowledge that just comes out when you hit 40 years old and you just know every <laughs> single tree in the forest. Yeah. That was it? You didn't, like, look at trees and, like, I want to punch you in the face. No. No. Oh. no I don't have a great story <laughs> like that. No. no, no my your story is much better than what you just said. Oh, my story was something like um, to Hurricane Katrina hit when I was doing my undergrad at the College of Charleston in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I saw this stuff on the news, and I was like, mm, I'm dropping out of college, and I'm leaving. That's it. And so I remember I, I uh, called my parents, and I was like, hey, I uh, definitely already got some funding for this semester, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and drop out. And that was a fun conversation. They were like, what? You, yeah. you paid this, and you're leaving? And I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving. Like, you can't leave. And I was like, you can't tell me what I'm going to do because you didn't pay for my college. Yeah. So I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I know that I need to do this. Like, there haven't been too many other instances in life where I was like, yeah, I have to do this. It's not a question of do I want to do this. It was just some, like, incredible pull that said you need to do this. Mankind needs people to go down there and to help. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know how I'm going to help, but I'm going to listen to this calling, whatever it is. And... So I called my buddy. We had a, a, a Jonathan and David kind of relationship. And I said, uh, what, what are you doing, Dan? And he was like, well, you know, sitting here eating a peanut butter and jelly. I said, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm at this moment. not at this exact moment. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? And he's like, well, I just got done at uh, Charleston Southern, and I'm getting ready to go into Clemson. I'm going to do some writing. And I was like, yeah, that's not what you're going to do. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like. You're going to get in your shitty 1989 Honda Accord. You're going to drive three and a half hours from Greenville, South Carolina, down to Charleston, South Carolina. You're going to pick me up, and we're going to drive until we see the maximum amount of devastation, and then we're going to start helping people. And he was like, dude, that sounds crazy. He was like, I'll get, I'll get back to you in three days. And I was like, uh, okay. So I was like, if you're not coming, I'm still going. And he's like, no, 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 I, I get that, obviously. Like, it's, it's Tony, it's you. You're going to do what you're going to do. And so he called me back in three days, and he was like, uh, okay, let's go. And he's like, I'm going to come down. I want to pick you up. And we took the back roads down to, uh, to, to where we headed. Literally, I remember going through just crazy roads where it was like two hours. We wouldn't see any other vehicles. The most pitch black sky ever. It was absolutely beautiful. Stopped in this field in Florida called Southfield. Uh, it was like... God just sprinkled these stars down, and it was super bright. We kept driving, driving, driving. We ended up in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, and they said this actually got hit harder than Louisiana. Hmm. They said it got hit harder than Louisiana, and so we ended up at the uh, – I don't even remember where that – somehow it was behind this church. It was behind this church, and so we went and met with a pastor, and he was like, uh, what, what, do you, what do you guys want to do? And I was like – whatever you need. He's like, what can you do? I was like, everything. We know how to do everything. We have all skill sets. Yeah. Dude, we didn't know how to do any. We could barely tie our no shoes. We're college skills, kids. Yeah. Both staff skills. And uh, <laughs> so this, this church became this focal point where teams from all around the United States would come and park behind it with their campers or their tents or whatever they would bring. And each one of those teams had a skill set. You know, they were a demolition team. They were a chainsaw team. They were a construction team, HVAC team, electrical team, whatever. And so the church would get these phone calls and people would say, Hey, I need this or I need that. So they'd put together these work orders and they would delegate these work orders to these different teams based on their skill set. And so we were just, you know, this ragtag bunch of 
college kids that didn't know anything. And so we would just jump on with these random teams and we would just talk with them and they'd be like, you guys just dropped out of college and came down here. We're like, yep. They're like, well, hop on with us. And so we hopped on with all these different teams and we'd go and we'd do demolition. We'd go and do uh, electrical work. We'd go and do, you know, whatever work. And eventually somehow the trees found us, the trees found us. Cause there was, you know, maximum devastation down there. It was like toothpicks. There were boats up in the top of trees. It was sure. crazy. And uh, the pastor said, Hey, he said, you boys know how to run chainsaws? And I was like, I was born to run chainsaws. And Dan's like, you ever run a chainsaw before? I was like, once, shh. And so he was like, I'm going to buy you boys some MS-290 steel chainsaws. And I was like, okay, that sounds fantastic. And uh, we ended up like cutting down trees. And knowing what I know now, by the grace of God, we're he's, still alive. He survived. Like, dude, there's so many things that like – there was literally one point when there was a tree that was like this and it was bent over and my buddy Dan shimmied out on this tree and started cutting it. And I was like, I'm not a physics major, but the roots still look attached. I was like, I've seen catapults and trebuchets before. I think it's going to launch him into Louisiana. And dude, he was like halfway through it. And I was like, stop. Just started screaming. He's like, what? I was like, dude, get off, get off. He gets off. I finished the cut, dude. Sure enough, wah, 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 wah. dude, it would have sent him to the next count. Like so much stupid stuff yeah. that we shouldn't have been out there. But we kind of roughly learned how to cut trees while we were down there, and uh, eventually we stayed down there for about three months. It was a wild story, man. Like it's cool. I went down I, there. With, I never knew that. Yeah, just <laughs> no money in my account. Before I left, I talked with the dean of the college. You know, this is a college, a state college. You got 12,000 kids. And she was like, you're just going to drop out and go? And I'm like, yep. She's like, that's wild, Tony. She's like, pulls her wallet out, gave me some money. And she's like, I wish you the best of luck. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool story. Yeah, dude, it was it was wild, man. But, yeah, we, we stayed down, down there for three months. Like, And I thought I was going down there to help those people. Those people helped me as much as I helped those people. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, wow. What a cool story. I know, like, uh, I was initially interested, and in, I didn't know you went to college in Charleston. That's like a... CFC, baby. I was a cougar. How did you even get there? Oh, you want to hear that story? I just, I mean, I know, I mean, I've been to Charleston a few times. Yeah, I'll make it quick. Yeah. So I was with uh, Jacob Dean, who's on the show, by the way. I actually told this story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, he's, yeah, a ta- yeah. he's a tax attorney. He's a Mormon. <laughs> yeah. The most clean-cut family ever. Awesome. They mm-hmm. play piano together, sing together. Beautiful family. His dad was our principal, and we were sitting in his basement, and there was a, a news article, and it said, hey, there's this uh, this park in this particular city, which was Charleston, and it was uh, Francis Marion Park, and they said there's women sunbathing mm-hmm. causing traffic accidents. That's all you need Because to know. the women are so fine. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and I was like, what? what? College of Charleston? I was like, sold right there. And then I looked it up, and there was like uh, – Eight dudes to like one female ratio, or uh, excuse me, yeah, eight females. Yeah, that sounded. I won't say what it sounded like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah vice versa. Yeah, and I went. So I went. Yeah, I went. Yeah, I wish I would have had more money so I could have yeah. experienced the cuisine and. That's what I was just gonna say. Like, oh, I mean, yeah, not to be low country too cuisine. much on brand, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Sean Brock is like one of my favorite chefs, and he had all those restaurants. He's yep. moved in Nashville, but uh, we used. To, my family always has gone to to Myrtle Beach every year. My parents have a place down there. And so one day, so my, my, me and my wife and our kids and my sister and her husband, and her kids, 
So, and then my parents, there's like 20 of us. It's for stupid. And so they let us one day go away. And Charleston's like an hour and 40 minutes from there. Yep. And we always go to Charleston for the whole day. And it's like, it's such a cool town. I hate to like, just the, the, what it is. And then the history of it. I'm not a huge history buff, but when you actually see things like, what's the island? The, the right across from the park. Yeah. Uh, Fort Sumter. And you actually see like, okay, that's not really far away. Not at all, man. And then it's like, oh, these are all like where the generals lived on this yeah. road. Like it was well, like you go down to the battery and you've got the crazy houses. That are, yeah, like you can kind of, and that's so There's cannons still out there. And that's always one of those things that like when you see, you know, old battlefields or just like, just different things around the world, and you see how small they are. Like, and when I was in college, I went to Israel for a month. I went to this Christian school because my and I loved it. My friends went there, but I was never going to be a pastor. So I get all my biblical studies things if I went to Israel for a month. I was like, tie me up. So I, you know, you go there and you find out like, okay, Jerusalem's like the south, the size of like the north end of Worcester. It is like excruciatingly small, and it's it's so weird to see like all these historical events and there's all of this history in this one weird circle that's built up off the ground this you know the gated area of jerusalem and similar like charleston like you see the history of like the civil war and you're like bro this really happened here yeah that's like you could shoot a cannon over there and they could shoot one (laughs) back and and they did and it was and and i'm that's when i'm not a huge history buff but when i get to see it it's like and you see like the the reality of like it you're like whoa Makes it palpable. It's yeah. real, like, and the, this the the houses, those like bullet houses that are like ten foot wide and sixty foot long. And, yeah, because it because of property taxes. Yeah, they tax them by the or shotgun, not bullet. I used to yeah. term. shotgun, shotgun yeah. houses. Have you have you ever been down to Gatlinburg? Yes. Um, have you we, taken any of those tours or anything, or like gone up on like the the hillside where the Confederacy was, or that we haven't yet. Like so, so. My name's Matt. My wife's name is has it starts with an M, and then all three of my kids start with an M. So we made this really weird proclamation when we got married that we were going to take a family vacation to every state that started with an M over time. But in the years that we don't take a vacation there, we go to Gatlinburg. Our kids freaking love it. But they love it for, like, the Dollywood part. True. Um, I love that area. I've actually looked at, like, buying land down there and, like, developing it because land's cheap in, like, was it Sevierville? Sevierville, yeah. Yeah. And... It's beautiful down there, and they have like not very strict building codes. And yeah, and hunting the, is easy down I there. I think the property taxes are terrible either. Oh, it's super cheap, and they don't have any state income tax. So I was like, or very low <laughs> state income tax. So I was like, ooh, if I build a cabin down there now, and then like Airbnb it for like fifteen years, and then retired down there. <laughs> right, because I mean, it gives you a little bit of the winter, but not too much, and you yeah. get the really extended, really nice summer, but. Anyway, I love Tennessee. I love, like, I love, like, Gatlinburg and uh, what's the other one? Pigeon Forge, that whole. Yeah, world. that's yeah. all. Well, that's, that's the thing, like, that whole area, you're talking about the wars, and, like, yeah. you, when you, like, throw the Civil War into that, and you realize where some of those forces came through, like, Tennessee and Virginia, like, and ended up in, like, Gettysburg, mm-hmm. like, and realize some of the, like, some of the. And like, they walked. Yeah, they yeah they walked those there. shoes. Yeah, like it took months and months, and like that's how these things happen. And like I remember uh, speaking of just Gettysburg, I, I went down to Gettysburg once for a, a work thing, and like they did like a you know kind of a weird conferencing where you 
leadership and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like to take the tour of Gettysburg and standing in some of the places where this, you know, and you have a, some of those tour guides down there, they're, they're in it to win. Oh yeah. They are like really full throttle and they like kind of describe, Hey, this is, this is what happened here and here. And you stand on some of the points and it's like, Oh, it really, like you said, like the size of a football field, like how many thousand people died. Yeah. It just had to be just a ridiculous amount of carnage. And that's just crazy. Like, yeah, all that stuff is, I love, I love history in the way of like the reality of, you know, you know, everybody I think wants to go to Normandy Beach. I think everybody wants to do like the whole like those like stations of war because it's so interesting to me. It just feels like you know, seventy what is it? Almost well, eighty some years ago. It's like all the stuff happened. It's like that's not that all long ago. That's, and like that's not a, that's a very short time. And then when they tell you like what was it like with the the D Day thing? Like some crazy number of people died in the like the practice runs of it. It was oh, like yeah. They had like even before they ever got to the beach, like they would just yeah. do it on like another beach, and like all these people died. And like all right, whatever. Like, yeah. like the idea that like we would do any of that stuff now, or they, well, they had to do it. So it wasn't like a you know this is a cool idea. Let's storm a beach. It's like kind of the world, the future of the world depends on it. And so yeah, it's it's like the history stuff is when you see it in real life and I, I just have a had an affinity with Charleston, not the, there was a conversation, but yeah, yeah, it's so cool. I love Southern towns. I went to college in Virginia and you know, the Savannah's, the, the Charleston's well, yeah, it's um, low country, baby. Whew. Everything's a little bit slower. Get some grits, some those, sweet tea, some those, boiled peanuts, those big trees that sweep yeah, down got and the cover Spanish the moss. Yeah. Live it's, oaks. It's really, uh, it's a really cool place. I have pictures of my, my wife was pregnant, really pregnant with our second, like, and we were there in August and it was like 107 and we were like <laughs> hoofing it. And she's like <laughs> pink in the face, <laughs> sweating, like guzzling water. And I was like, you're a soldier for this. And she's like, Oh, this is really cool. I was like, man, I was struggling and I didn't have a baby, but it, it Charleston's <laughs> a cool place. We went on a bunch of tours and carriage ride stuff. All that cool. Yeah. Kitschy stuff. Yeah, there's something special about experiencing things that not only you're not used to, but in a different time frame. Yeah. That in trying to put yourself in that and going, oh, like oh, this, these yeah. are what the, this, these are what these people went through. Yeah. I think that's a that's a I've, I talk about it a lot, and I maybe maybe too much, maybe it's a dead horse at this point, but it's something that a lot of people, and myself included, we can't fully grasp the struggles that not only what people go through around the world today, but the same people that have been here 50, 60 years ago, like we're living in a completely different dimension than it's like, why are we all so mad? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we are living in the literally the best time to be alive period. Yeah. And it seemingly is always that case. And I just, what you were saying, I always joke like, um, if you've ever been to San Diego and like Coronado Island, which is right off San Diego, they have like the first Coronado hotels, like the first hotel with electricity on the West coast. So like Thomas Edison put the stuff in, it's this ridiculous, huge resort, but it's property line butts up against like, uh, and I'm, I'm not a military guy, but I don't know if they're green berets or like special forces, like their training grounds. It's gotta be the seals of its Coronado. Yeah. 
whatever it is. It's dudes. There's a lot of Navy out there. It's just, no, it's, it's, it's just it's, bad yeah, dudes. It's and it's always funny. Buds. And they do their drills and stuff. And you're like, for everybody, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'd be a great. I'd be great in the Army. I always try to serve. I was like, and I look at them like, no, you, like these dudes are carrying logs in the ocean and almost drowning, like on a Tuesday morning. Literally. Like, no. <laughs> almost drowning. No, you're, not, no, you're not built for that. That, like, was my, that was my old man. So that was, he was underwater demolition. Then he went and trained in Coronado. And they do, it's really cool if you ever get to go to San Diego, like go to Coronado and just sit there because they got helicopters going back and forth. They drill. They have their big ships coming kind of in and out. But then on the beach, and I don't know who they are, they're drilling. And it's not like basic training stuff it's like it's it's the still most and they like they have like this line it's like you can't cross it and then people just put chairs and usually you put your chair to faces the ocean and, and they put their chairs to face it. <laughs> they're, just, they're just eating like chips and salsa watching these guys almost pass out Poor bastards I know, almost, uh, but yeah. it's it is the most like, intense thing <laughs> yeah i've i've seen it a lot and they had this thing where they did like a i mean literally looked like a like electrical pole and they all had it like oh yeah pick up pick up pick up your coupons (laughs) it was like six of them on it and they had them like under their arms and they like went it in the ocean and they were doing some drill with it and you know the waves are knocking your feet off from under you and you're like it's i am not built for that but it was really cool to see and you see all like the the drilling they do with their you know they're jumping out of the the helicopters and stuff it's dude it's crazy makes you feel super safe like those dudes are doing it. Like yeah, I'm good. I, I would like, say super safe. And... They should have a tip jar, like at the, at the rope. Just be like, <laughs> yeah, they don't get. No here you go for, for your freedom, guys. Yeah. Like if you want to give a couple extra bucks for your freedom to these you guys, get your, you get your brown shirt and some tips. Yeah. yeah. I, in my mind, it's like that just makes me feel super inadequate because I'm. I look at the same way. I'm like, mm, no, it's not me. Yeah. No. I'm like, more power no. to you, buddy. Yeah. Let me know when you need a mortgage. Yeah, I really. <laughs> I'll, I'll solve that problem for you. You keep the border safe. I'll get you a little I'll, I'll keep you. I'll get you a house. <laughs> yeah, no, no. it's yeah, it's a, it's a that's a wild place, and that that's you know being able to travel a little bit. I haven't traveled a ton, you know, comparatively speaking, to a lot of people I know, but um, that really helps you like get out of your rut, and that's one of the things I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have met my wife like three years earlier, and then not had kids for an extra two years, and then spent like more Traveled. time. Just even in like not like hey let's go to Italy and eat pizza, like we sh- like I wanted to go- we should have like really thought about even in the United States and that's one of the things with my kids I really want to try. They're too young now, but when they get older, especially with those M state trips, like, but also like take them to San Francisco, like make them uncomfortable, not unsafe, but like yeah, these people are kind of weird sometimes, or take them to like New Orleans and have them understand like all of those cultures that met in one little weird town. Because I feel like that's going to help them accept other people better and, and not have to wait so long to figure out, like, okay, different isn't bad, different is different. And I think the only way you can – a lot of the ways you can do that is just by letting them, in the small ways, experience those different places. And that's that's a passion for me as my kids get older. Like, I want to take them to D.C. when they're old enough to be, like, see stuff and, you know, mm. take them to Montana and, like – and and all of those weird area, those weird places in our country, because you don't have to go to like, you know, Egypt to see like a lot of culture, and then you could go to Dearborn, Michigan. That's basically an Arab town. Like you could give them a lot of culture that way. So 
that's a big thing for me, for Maria and I too, just as like, hey, let's not unsafe, but like, I'm not just going to take you to the beach every summer so you can be like, oh, this is fun. Expose you to something different. Yeah. Like here's weird food. Yeah. Like this is spicy. This is weird. Like, and that's my hope for them is at least they have the understanding of the perspective that, man, it's, there's a lot of different places just in this country. Yeah. So, I think that's super awesome and incredible. I think, um, you know, I've, we've kind of talked about doing the same thing. Uh, obviously last year, the, the travel thing was a little, you know, non-existent, but you know, uh, we have talked to, you know, my wife and wanted to do the same thing with the kids, like exposing her to different things. Like, um, we, we want to go down to, uh, the, uh, serpent mounds near Cincinnati. Okay. And just like, cause that's like a talk about history. Like yeah. that's real. That's way back there, you know? And, and it's not just, we want to go do different things, but also too, it's like, Hey, there's, there's layers yeah. of history and people that have been here and all these different things. And, you know, we want to, um, I, I've been in New York city a ton. Mm -hmm. So like New York city, Mike, you, you literally, you, you can get a little bit of everything sure. within a, you know, a, a 10 minute walking distance, sure. depending on where you're at, you know, like those things, just to realizing that like, there's so much out there and yeah. there's so much to appreciate out there. Like it's, yeah. And that, yeah. And that, I think that's like every, every generation of course always evolves a little bit more. And I think that's one of the things that we can do is like, we're all connected even more, but it's also tough to be like, you got to break out of the like, Oh yeah, no, I know a lot about Japan. There's a YouTube video I can watch about Japan. <laughs> right. or, I, I know all about like, you know, you know, the great, the, the Pacific Northwest. And it's like, yeah, and then I always thought that, and then my wife and I went on a cruise to Alaska and stayed in Seattle for a couple of days and then went to, all the way up to Alaska, and I, and I was like, oh, I didn't understand this at all. Like, this is nuts. Like, when you see a glacier, like, <laughs> that right there, you're like, oh, this is a different game than what you see on Discovery Channel, and, like, our kids are just still just getting to the age where we can give them that stuff, but, man, that's to see, like, the world, that is just going to give them a bigger, a more well-rounded idea of other people. And that's all you can do. I mean, I, yeah. I got like my in-laws are great parents and they got some screwball kids and sometimes it's just whatever, like, but it's not your fault if they're great and it's not your fault if they're good or bad, but I just want them to have like an opportunity to see like other people and not have a judgmental eye to it and just be like, Oh, that's what they do. And, but that's not what I do. And so, yeah, that's a, a a big goal of me. I love travel. I like last year when pandemic, I was on the road. I didn't give a crap. I was in my I was not wearing a mask. I was I stopped traveling from basically the end of March through like June first, and then I was on the road the rest of the year. And so it was lonely and like sometimes like nothing was open. But you know, and hotels like you know they wrapped your your remote in a like a Ziploc bag. Because you couldn't touch the remote. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, everybody's just going to open the Ziploc bag and take the remote out. But they would, they, that was the thing that they used to do. Or they would, if you ordered room service, they'd like sit it at your door, knock on your door, and run away. So you didn't come in contact with them. It's like, slid it through. Yeah. It was like a prison. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, but uh, eat yeah. your porridge. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big world. It's a big country, man. And, and so I'm just, 
I'm down to figure it out. Oh, yeah. Different isn't bad. Different is different. Yeah. It's a sw- I like that, Channy, a lot. I do. It's tough to understand. Or it's tough to continue. Because I think, I mean, we always try to have to have a frame of reference for everything because that makes us order our life. But sometimes you're just like, I don't get you. I think you're weird, but I don't care. Right. And I think, I think if we can teach our, teach our kids that, like, I don't understand what you are, but that doesn't mean my life changes because I don't understand it. Then, then debate happens because I'm not trying to change you and maybe you're not trying to change me, but you, I'm trying to, understand you and you can try to understand, understand you yeah understand yeah. each other a little bit better i mean that's why that pulls the, you to the middle instead of pushes you to the outside it goes back to dan and me talking about like i i sp- like purposely surround myself with characters then there's a reason i work in a jail there's a reason i work around addicts like yeah. i like characters because they're very very different and i try to understand people that aren't like me because maybe they're more like me than I think they are once I fully understand them. Yeah, and they maybe just didn't have a dad. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things like in our company, you know, we have an office here, I have an office in Dublin, which is outside of Columbus, and an office in Lynchburg, Virginia, and an office in New Lexington, Ohio, which is in the middle of nowhere. But um, in the office outside of Columbus, um, I've I have employees there and they're just different and a lot of them you know as you learn it's like you know actually they had a maybe a bad upbringing or just a not you know I have two great parents I was lucky like my parents good they're around if I was yeah. like dad I'm broke he'd give me money like and my mom would do my laundry you know I just had a, that advantage and like one of my employees like they just didn't and like they're taking care of their parents and then some people are like, wow, he's really abrasive or she's really abrasive. And you're like, you know, that's their life. Like they're taking care of a lot more than they really need to be. Yeah. And they probably have been since they were a teenager and they had to pretty much figure it out. So they're like a feral cat. Like they're surviving. They're finding food wherever they can. Yep. And when you bring them in the house, the feral cat might like you. And then a, one minute runs up the drapes and scratches you. And it's like a lot of that is 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 luck of the draw or not unluck of the draw. And as I get older, I learned that a lot of that stuff is like, that guy's a jerk. It's like, why? Because most people aren't just a jerk for sake of it. It's either a defense mechanism or something that they figured out that works. And a lot of times you can get past that with like understanding where they're from or what happened to them. Or yeah, some people are just jerks and you just write them off and that's who they are. But yeah, sounds interesting like, stuff. Sounds like being chronically curious helps you to understand people. I'm a little yeah. disappointed. I, I thought the chronic was going to play a, a more bigger role than the curious side of things. I thought we were going to get smoked up in here. No, I mean, no. We, we, we could have pulled the Elon, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. it's. I don't do like, that either, but I just said it. Was... I know. I'm just joking, Shane. Yeah, well, it, the uh, the chronic is more of an adjective. Okay. Than a noun. <laughs> in chronic curiosity. Just nonstop right? curious. Yeah. Well, I guess. Instead of yeah, no, it's, nonstop it's, token. Yeah. yeah, it's a... Uh, well, if like the O was a weed leaf, then I'd be worried. <laughs> yeah. No, the chronic is definitely more of a uh, an, an adjective than a noun. I, I would think that's right, right? An adjective than a noun where it's, we are um, at it's least... A descriptor of how curious we are? Yeah, it's it's something I can't avoid. Maybe, it's a, maybe more curious when we smoke the chronic. It's a yeah. constant thing. That's when we get to the ancient aliens. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I could talk about aliens all day long, but... um. 
that's a that's, that's a whole different yeah. uh yeah. whole different well that's something i need to learn more about i mean i i laugh at like i mean the bob lazar stuff and like it's uh that i know of it, and just as him as like a mouthpiece but like that stuff it's hard to i don't know that's where my mind str- struggles to stretch to those areas oh i got i got so we don't we can uh we can we can wrap this up here a little bit um but i will say if you're uh a podcast listener or a generally curious type of person. Um, some of my most favorite people about and that's not necessarily aliens, but have you ever heard of Graham Hancock? No. So he's a, he's an Egypt kind of person. He's not oh, an Egyptologist, yeah. but okay. he's, he's like an author. Like the pyramids and stuff. Yeah. So real, real, real quick. Um, so Egypt by, normal standards by expert standards is thought to be 8,000, 6,000 years old, the pyramids and whatnot. Um, Him and people along with uh, Randall Carlson. um, I always forget the, these other two guys names, which are the really big ones. Um, But the one guy did a, a series that's called magical Egypt. He's an older guy. And he's actually he's passed away now, um, but they basically have proved not proved, but the terrible name for a show. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, but it was it's old school. I just think magical, magical. Yeah, it's it's old. <laughs> yeah, it's old school. Egypt, just throw some sand. Yeah, no, it does. Like, like if you watch it, it's very much that the face of the sphinx just opens up. Yeah, but it's uh, the weathered nose. But when you hear him talk about and you, it's it's going back to the understanding the underlying you know, aspects of what they're talking about, um, that, that civilization could, they, they have arguments for civilization is much older than 12,000 years old, Mm -hmm. like collective civilization, which breaks all of the norm, all the norms that experts Mm -hmm. agree. So you tie that in with the theory of aliens like Bob Lazar, um, and commanded Commander David Fravor. Have you ever heard his account? Is that the pilot? It's the Navy pilot. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was, he was, like, he was an officer like and yeah. saw the, the Tic Tac thing. Yeah. Um, he has a really good discussion with Lex Friedman as well. Hmm. Um, but you add all these things together and it made me really curious to go, okay, so we have theoretically the, the argument sounds good that civilization was constructed well before mm-hmm. we consider it has been. Um, and now it's really being opened up with Gobekli Tepe. I don't know if you ever heard of that. The ancient it's, city. It's like an ancient structure that has been dated back to post 12,000 years. Was that that city of gold and national treasure with the Nick Cage movie? No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> Close. So, yeah. Close. So, so this, oh, okay. so this, it's a, it's a, was like in the, the Statue of Liberty. There was a there was a there was a hint. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. it's, probably, it's probably there. We just yeah, it probably. It. But I will say, if if you have an interest in some of that stuff, it's it's really interesting. But this this city is has been like they've been not it's not necessarily a city, but it's these structures that have been built mm-hmm. twelve thousand plus years that was intentionally buried hmm. by, over, by aliens. I don't, I don't know if it's by aliens, but it, it, I feed it. I, I think okay, well maybe. Yeah. If you tie it in the ancient aliens thing, maybe yeah. it's not really ancient aliens. It's just this these these 
highly intelligent civilizations that have lived before us and gotten it destroyed. Yeah. And they knew it was coming, so they, you know, whatever. There's a lot of different theories into they it. They got but, out of town. Yeah. You never know. Now they're coming back because the rents do, right? Maybe. No, they got COVID protection. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> but if, so they uh, got their vaccine. <laughs> you can you travel, in, travel interstellarly without a vaccine? Is that a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, 14 not. days on? Absolutely you got to stay not. 14 days you on need Mars. Your passport you, yeah. for that. Jo- Joey B is going to shut that down. He's going to sign yeah. an executive order soon. <laughs> yeah. My point is, is there's some logical explanations if you're willing to have an imagination yeah. for the unexplained. That's all I mean. I like that. <laughs> That's very good. Logical, unexplained. That's, there's uh, logical explanations for the unexplained. unexplained. <laughs> yeah, get the word of Make me sound like a fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Old Alex Jones. There's deep, here. shallow pools too, right? <laughs> Fine. If that's how it's going to be. That's how we're going to. No, be. I. You know, I. I, I, I here comes quantum have, physics. Yeah. I, no, I would love to have. A, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to know more about that stuff because that's definitely something I don't know a lot about. I actually. Uh, do have to really pee really bad because I'm no, mowing no. down these. Walls. Yeah, no, we can, uh, we can, if you, uh, but look, say Graham, Graham Hancock and Randall Carson were on Joe Rogan. You've mentioned Joe Rogan. Yeah. So I Graham Hancock and Randall Carson, they have some really interesting, they're not alien. It's more of a um, destruction and yeah, revitalization. Great, great flood, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, but like scientific type explanations for it. So. Channing. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on, yeah, buddy. No problem. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we ended it with aliens. How about that? Oh, <laughs> on brand. On brand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you for hanging out with us on this episode. Appreciate it, as always. And if you have any questions, comments, ideas, or guest suggestions, leave them in the comments after you subscribe to the channel. Or visit chroniccuriosity.com to get in contact with us. And the store, which you can pick yourself up some fantastically curious merchandise. Until next time. See you.